Welcome to Roguecast, the official podcast of Rogues Gallery. We'll talk comics for the week, as well as whatever news is on our pop cultural radar. I'm Randy. I'm Nick. This is Dave. And now, on with the show. Hello, and happy birthday, belatedly, to Russell, our uh, one of our four listeners. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we determined we had more than four, but yes, happy birthday, <laughs> Russell. There's, in fact, possibly as many as... Eight. Forty. <laughs> Ooh, uh, forty. That's right. I like it. Thousand. Forty thousand? <laughs> forty million. <laughs> Is this like a liar's dice kind of game? Yeah. Are we? we have forty million. <laughs> forty million. Forty million listeners. Forty Everyone. quadrillion billion. Yes, but, uh, every man, woman, and child listens to our podcast each week twice. <laughs> yes, uh, raise raise your cups today, though, to Russell, though. Yep. He's, yes. He's a good guy. Yep, his birthday was on Monday. Yeah. Um, we'll, uh, we'll, one of the comics we're talking about we'll dedicate to you today. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's going to be just completely random. Yes. <laughs> not Who even, knows? Not be something you like. No. It's not going to be She-Hulk. It's not we'll dedicate it to you. Keep it, keep it in mind. We'll figure it out. We'll know when we hit it. I we'll know when we see it. Yeah. Yes. We'll know the, this is the Russell. This one's for Russell. This is for Russell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we got new games in this week. We've got, uh, Lotus, which is a, Game where you put down cards and you you build little flowers. Okay. A very pretty chill game. I played it a few weeks back. Uh, really fun little in between game games, like thirty minutes. This has like been the rise of the chill game in yeah. the last decade. Uh, we got the Vampire the Masquerades uh, source book Bloodstained Love, Aww. which is playing love stories in the world of vampire, which is I'd like okay. it's, it's like a genre. Source I'd book. actually be interested to look at that. I'm always interested to like. How do you handle like uh, romance and stuff in RPGs without making everybody get squicked out? There's a whole chapter on uh, virtual sex. Neckin. <laughs> Neckin. <laughs> what are you, 70? <laughs> no, that's perfectly in line with the, with the Dracula thing. They're vampires. I get it. They neck. It's yeah. a different thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah, okay. You got more? Yep. <laughs> Back up. Yep. If two vampires kind of like latch onto each other's necks, is it just kind of a little circular. Yeah. A circulatory system. A circulatory system. Let's just, just, just spin it around like little cars on a, on a racetrack. It's kind of an undead circle. Is, is that physically possible for you to like someone chomp on your neck and you're chomp? You're talking about uh, different vampires, not the I same. I don't know. Vampire. No, I was talking about yeah, like. If the, one vampire latches onto the other vampire. I, yeah, I don't know if you can like easily. Because the other do one that. Can, like, can't get to your neck. At that but maybe point, vampires right? are kind of stretchy. Because I don't know. <laughs> aren't they essentially two like lampreys that fit together? <laughs> they can suck off each other. Uh, can't just mouth, 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 uh, mouth it. I, I. Th- this is a this is a puzzle now. This became a puzzle. Of yeah. How you can get two vampires connected at the neck? Can a vampire double suck? Can a vampire double suck? Your Google. <laughs> yeah, please Google, Google that for us and put it on, put it on image search. Yeah, don't don't do that. Drop your turn your filters off um, and uh, safe filters. See what you off. get. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, but but meanwhile we were talking about how there's these cozy games, yes. these chill games. Um, what okay. I thought we had gotten past that. <laughs> yeah, we're past that. We're, yeah, I was just trying right. to. We also have. <laughs> There's a there's a game called Timeline that we've gotten before, which is basically yeah. it's it's a cards of historical events and you put them in order. That's the challenge of like, yeah. did this happen before this? Well, there is a Star Wars version of it. Oh, now. that's oh, fun. That's cool. That just came out called Star Wars Timeline Twist. 
because I've been to Wikipedia a few times before, I know that like the the thing that they always have is BBY before the Battle of Yavin and yep. after the Battle of Yavin. Oh, I know that's what that stood for. That's the yep. thing. Yeah, it's like it's like the only big thing that ever happened in the Star Wars universe. I thought BBY was a bit beautiful Yavin. <laughs> <laughs> I do like some Yavin honeys. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but it's going to be a weird podcast. <laughs> I, always thought it was I don't know why either, but it does seem like it's going to be one of those I thought it was for ones. Big Bold Yoda. <laughs> Big Bold Yoda. <laughs> another, that is another option on Pornhub. <laughs> um, we also got experiences for the game Robo Rally. Okay. Uh, two new experiences And that game is that. like a, that's like a classic game. It is, yeah. Uh, 50 it's years. Fun. Uh, it's, it's like 30, I bet. Yeah, at least. I bet it could be 30. No, because it had... Cause Maybe the re-release, but... I feel like, isn't it a Richard Garfield game? It was around when I started working at, at like, D-Layer in, like, 2000. So, yeah, I was, I was looking at the to see if they had a, had a history Could be, of, like, late 90s. 2016, which I don't... That's, that's, that's got to be the re-release. That's another re-release. Yeah. 1994. There we go. Designed by Richard Garfield. Yeah. That is exactly 30 years ago. Yes. That's a long time. Yeah. Correct. Yep. Yeah, but basically you... Uh, it was Days of Yore. Days you're, of Yore. Uh, you're controlling robots in a dangerous widget factory. <laughs> and yep. uh, you, uh, you like, you have to set I believe you set move. up a little algorithm yeah. and program for yeah. them, which felt like it'd be great for engineering types. Yep. I kind of, I think you kind of projected out like sort of chess move style. Yeah. But I, although I've, I've never played it, but it does sound like something that'd be fun to try out. I'm, I'm curious about it. I've played it. It's, it's fun. It's... Uh, it's got a little bit of that. I am not a chess person, like like. Uh, but you do have to do a any think game a few where you have to ahead. plan ahead. I'm really bad. Yep. And this is one of those. Yep. But it is fun. Is that why I always lose chess? Yes. <laughs> no, <laughs> Nick. It's because you call them horsies. That's true. <laughs> I do call them horsies. And by which I mean the queens. <laughs> it's a weird thing you do. I don't understand. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know either. Uh, and then we got a few party games from uh, Asmo Day, uh, Girl Code, Let's Get Lit, and The Queer Agenda, which are all Sounds- you know. Games, sounds, yeah. It sounds like fun party games. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk about comics for the week. Yep. And it's a pretty big week. A lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know what's weird is I, I think the biggest thing this week is actually an issue two. There are two big number twos this week. Yep. Do we do it? Let, let's do those first. All right. Let's shake it up. Let's talk about Cobra Commander number two. Yes. Uh, um, you can tell from the cover, the Dreadnoughts are in this one. Yay, Dreadnoughts. You know what? I was telling Nick the other day. The first one kind of hits you with a lot of stuff. Yeah. I think we can... Can we say now what's, what is in yes, this first yes, one? Yes, we can. That it, it is a version of... From the G.I. Joe movie in 1987 of Cobra Law. Yep. The... Re- revealing that Cobra is tied into a secret civilization that once dominated the Earth and would like to do so again now. And they're, but they're like sort of sending out Cobra Commander as their emissary to find Energon and sort of revitalize their society. Correct. Their evil society. Because Globulus wants to take over the world. Yep. And so he is in search. That's that's kind of what the early the, this Cobra Commander miniseries is about: is his search for Energon troves on uh, on the surface or like outside of their secret uh, hideout sort of thing yep. in the mountains. And it, it, it takes him into Dreadnought territory. And I was telling Nick, Randy, I don't know. I feel like the first issue kind of hit the re- the reader with a lot of info. I almost would have done this issue first with kind of a mystery as to exactly what he was what doing, was going on, yeah. and then flash back in the second issue. I agree now, because, as you know, I was not sold on Cobra Commander number right. one as much. It took me a couple of rereads to really. Enjoy. And and this one has some fun. This is a fun violent this is a, issue. This is really fun. These um, dreadnoughts are brutal. The dreadnoughts yeah. are brutal. By the way, I don't know if you noticed the dreadnoughts. 
uh, each have a single tattoo marking them as absolute ruffians. Oh, do they? Uh, they one of they they have a tattoo on their arms, and it's very very. One is like a bull, and one has oh, like yeah. a dagger and a snake, and a, like yeah. They they actually gone out of their way to make sure that they have unique tattoos. Yeah. Yes, we get Ripper and Buzzer. I don't know what kind of uh, monstrous degenerates would have tattoos on their arms. But yes. Oh, uh, how'd your uh, tattoo appointment go? Pretty on? good. Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I find it kind of funny, Dave. We talk about this all the time, like in the '80s, that like nothing scared people more than uh, punk-looking dudes. Yeah, yeah. If you had uh, um, a mohawk, yep. um, uh, you know, or or, general, hair. or yep. spiky hair or <laughs> yep. something like that. <laughs> Spider-Man was going to swing down and beat you up. Yeah, well, and the dreadnoughts, the two dreadnoughts we have in here are what, Buzzer and Ripper. Yep, yep. And one of them has a one has a, a, a beefy beard and a, and a mohawk. The other one, a ponytail. Oh my god! They're just degenerates of the highest order. Like a walked a little bit out of Mad Max. <laughs> but they, they, it is fun to see. I, they are having some fun making them more like yeah. like more road warrior. They yep. are yep. like that more. Uh, and also, Cobra Commander is. Um, is a danger, pretty dangerously effective in this. He as is. His, he's his, not the retreat guy no, anymore. He's, not. he's definitely more proactive. And he's got a mysterious bodyguard who we we think we figured out we've, what his deal we've is. Deduced. Yep. Um, yep. And this guy unleashes the mother of all headbutts. Yeah. This one. Yep, I don't want to. I don't want to. You're just going to have to see it to, yep. to see what happens. But uh, woof. Um, <laughs> uh, there's if if you can read between the lines, there is some kind of neat reveals in this one, uh, how the, of how like the GI Joe stuff is going to interact a little bit with some Transformers stuff. Yep. Some like oh, I bet you know Energon is going to show up here or there, you know. Uh, well, and also, and how you pointed out something I missed the first go around about how it sort of fits in with the. Uh, Kind of the stuff that's happening in Duke as well, yeah. About like a, a buyer and stuff. There is uh, some secretive, secret like little stuff that they seem to be dropping in here. And I'm not going to say who. There's another character that shows up yep, that we yep. haven't said yet. Yep. Um, but and, and a hint of some, another, yet another character on the last page um, that that looks pretty cool. Yeah, this uh, the it's it's very different from Duke and Transformers. All three books are different in their tones. Yeah. But they all are of a piece of the same universe, and they're all really good. Yeah, Duke's, Duke is kind of like, he's on the run, and yet there is a little bit of a putting the team together thing. Yeah, yeah. Cobra Commander is on, like, a mission. Yeah. He is, like, he has a very specific goal, and he's kind of, like, learning what the our weird surface world is like, and they're learning that he's a dangerous guy. Yep. So, uh, so just in conjunction with Cobra Commander, I, I think we should mention the GI Joe. Oh, well, yeah. no, well, the trade, the oh, yeah. trade. Yes. Uh, so we got the first trade of Void Rivals, which yeah. collects the first six issues of the yeah. series. Uh, the Void Rivals are two alien species who are at war and who are in the first issue. Uh, you know, would be the first chapter of the graphic novel, marooned on a planet together. And introduces the Transformers again, yeah. uh, but also, yeah, the dueling races, kind of enemy mine-ish. Yep, for sure. Uh, but it, but it does kind of like imagine if like enemy mine had you know uh, you know twenty minutes into the movie kind of gotten off planet and then had them yeah. having to continue to kind of work together in the spaceways. Uh, they're running up against stuff that is like Transformers adjacent uh, adjacent for sure like fits right into the lore of transformers especially if you kind of saw the stuff after the transformers movie that had like the cosmology and yep. stuff like that where uh, you know there was stuff on cybertron and, and we've seen some solicits that the the void rivals is going to veer back into transformers territory as well so yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but I'm, it's also super well drawn yes uh, has some like there's, there's like the survivalist element is very fun 
this is Kirkman. This is him working with his. Uh, what was that sci-fi book? The one with Out- the alternate universe. Yeah, the, the uh, Outcast. No, that, no, was, the, that, was, that was the, the no, you're right. Exorcist uh, one. Outer but, something limits. But it's that artist yeah. two, uh, working towards to it. Yeah, yeah. It, the artist is really talented. Oblivion um, song. Oblivion song. Thank you. It, it, at least for right now, it feels like it's like the least vital. And you know, if you're just mainly interested in the properties, uh, Transformers and GI Joe. You don't need to read it, but I would suggest it. Yeah, cool, there's some cool, cool stuff. Sci-fi story, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and sure. and it, it, I think they are doing that. You know, it's broadly it's kind of the outside looking in at like the Transformers War and things like that. It's like, okay, you know, what would it be like, say, if you were Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever? And but that was instead of the Kree Scroll War and other Marvel staples happening in the background, it was the War for Cybertron and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, is worth mentioning though. Also, GI Joe: Real American Hero number three hundred four comes out this Correct. week. Correct. This yeah. is Larry Hama continuing his run that started in nineteen eighty two. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, so that's that's, uh, that's the uh, over thirty years of GI Joe. Yeah, with 40. a small, with a forty forty years of GI Joe with a slight break. It's probably his thirty years because there was a oh break. right there, there were gaps in there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but. Uh, it's the legacy book. It's, it's crazy bonkers. There's like crazy yeah. sci-fi stuff going on in there. Yeah. Really nice art. And it's been selling really well. We're out of 301 through 303, but there are new printings coming, all of those. So right. if you want to jump on, you can still jump on that. Yep. All right. Let's talk about the other big number two this week, and that is Ultimate Spider-Man number two. Yeah. Yes. Uh, this is Jonathan Hickman, and was it Marco Cicchetto? Yep. We see By the Spidey time you his... hear this, it will have sold out. <laughs> Hopefully I mean, not. We, we, ordered yeah, we, actually, we, we ordered more on this one. Um, Spidey gets a costume of sorts, but it's not his full costume. Correct. Uh, because it is like the, the suit that Tony Stark gave him. Um, the villain in this, I have to say, the, Nick was talking about him having a cool costume, and I don't know if we want to say who it is, but I do think it was a cool update. It's, it's fun. It's, it's, you remember when the Ultimates came out and everything was like more real? Yeah. This feels like that. Yeah. Feels like but it's also like, like, it still keeps like the colors and look of it the does, villain. It does. It, once, once he said his name, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's who that is. Yeah. Um, my, it is kind of funny... Uh, you know how Bendis, one of the things I liked in Bendis' Ultimate Spider-Man way back when, is his confrontation with the Kingpin. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like he's all built up to like, it's it's a big deal, and he's like, I wrote this down so that I would make sure and say it right to you, because I knew I'd be nervous. Yeah. And then it's a, it's a string it's of, a fat of fat jokes. It's a bunch of jokes, yeah. Uh, that was, uh, well, uh, you know, probably not super cool, put a little fat yeah, phobic. Yeah, a little fat phobic. <laughs> but uh, it was super funny at the time. Yes. This has some of the same energy, yeah. I think, uh, of... Peter being an older dude, he's not a professional superhero yet, and he's a little taken in by things. Um, th- there's also a good scene with him, one of his kids. Um, it, and it's those smaller scenes that really capture my interest. Yeah, where it's just him, little things. Him talking to his young daughter, May. Yep. Uh, the conversation between Ben and uh, JJ. JJ yeah. uh, it's just those scenes, they kind of like jump off the page for me and they're 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 really interesting. This feels very Hickmany and then it is like a sci-fi take on all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I I tend to like Hickman. I know you guys can kind of bounce back a little bit back yeah. and yeah. forth. Uh but Yeah, if you if you like Hickman you'll definitely like this book. If you're not a big Hickman fan, you might still like this book. It's it's still it's still interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. the ultimate universe is Kind of shaping up to be my more favorite thing that yeah. Marvel's done well, in a little bit. Going to be very different. What's interesting when the Ultimate Universe came around in the two thousands, it was its own thing. Yeah, but now we're what twenty five, almost twenty five years past that. Yep, and it's got to be its own thing again. What they've decided to make it is interesting. Yeah, well, you know what's interesting. Uh, I think that um, you know people were amenable to a uh, Peter Parker who's who's Dad Parker essentially because of the Spider Verse stuff. And what's kind of cool is that this could have just drafted off that and been just like yeah. kind of a lazy version of that. Yeah. 
Um, and instead, it's 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 like a it's it's a somewhat deeper dive. It's it is its own setting. It uses it. Yeah, I'm like, yes, it's an old spider, older Spider Man, but he is also not a Spider Man who's been around the block. He's yeah. he's old. He's more experienced as a person, but not as a superhero. It's, and they, it's so they've a, got their own vibe to it. It's world building, and that's kind of what Hickman does best. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, we have Edge of Spider Verse number one. This is probably the fourth Edge of Spider Verse number one they've done. Yep. Uh, this one introduces Weapon Eight, who is a uh, in an alternate world where Wep- the Weapon X project is still going, and Peter Parker is Weapon Eight. Uh, there, that was that was kind of a fun story. It Sometimes re- Weapon X is referred to as Weapon Ten. Yep, and it's this true. one it is, and Weapon One is Captain America. Right. Um, There's a certain sense to it, it, it even it if works, it's goofy. Even though I don't like it, I don't like it. Um, Thanks, Morrison. They, they reintroduce Hacker <laughs> Hero Spiderbite, who was in the Spider Verse comics. Oh right, I forgot. Movie. Yeah, uh, and this is a fun little story with her. And then there's a uh, a final story that is a Spider Man twenty ninety nine story that is leading into the society, the Spider Society, which is the big overarching story that will lead into the next uh, Web Spider Man story. And all I that. applied to be in the Spider Society, and they rejected me. Well, your essay wasn't that good. You didn't, you didn't mention spiders in your essay. Right, I was you went off on a raccoon tangent. I think that was probably the problem. There's a lot of Dave stuff. Yeah, in yeah. It too. How did your How did your Raccoon Society application go, though? Um, they said to meet them in an alley, and then <laughs> yeah. I went there, and they took all my stuff, and then they just scattered into the shadows. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Raccoon Society. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but there was a little card behind that said, "You're in. You're in." <laughs> 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 I said, uh, bring groceries to the same alley next week. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, four four months in, I feel like I'm in the raccoon society. I'm, I'm getting beat up a lot. I'm losing a lot of groceries. That's right. But I'm pretty sure if I was in a spot, they'd probably come. They'd turn up. They'd turn for you. Yeah. yeah. The raccoons. Raccoons attack. <laughs> um, we've got a tangent here. <laughs> a little bit of fun. What? What are you talking about? Um, let's talk about a serial killer comic. Let's talk about it. This is Image Comics' The Six Fingers, number one. Right. Which is the flip side of the comic we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, The One Hand. The One Hand, yes. yes. So The One that- Hand was a set in the future, and it was about a cop on the last day of retirement, and a serial killer that he had thought was dead? Uh, he had, he had captured twice. Two yeah. confrontations, and there was... It's kind of like in that movie, if you've ever seen Zodiac, uh, where it's like... You like feel almost certain you've got the right guy, but there is still some nagging question about yep. it. Yep. And this is like future, and so there may be a little bit of weird technology stuff we right. don't know uh, fitting into this. But, but yes, he was unsure about that, and he's he's back on that case. And meanwhile, we have a story that seems to be told from the point of view of the killer. The yep. Six Fingers is from the point of view of the killer, but it's interesting. This first episode, first issue, is all about this sort of relatively normal dude who works at a what would what is a blue collar job in the yeah. future, which I thought was an interesting interesting job to give him. Yeah. Well, he's applying for like some kind of what archaeology grant. Yep. For yeah. Archaeology yeah. grant because of like something about from his like given to him by his father or grandfather yeah. about a society that. Um, but it leads. It goes through a fancy art gallery and uh, some interpersonal stuff. It's a really. I actually like this a little better than the one hand. Yeah, I thought this was an interesting uh, kind of flip side of the coin. Uh, we're getting to see this serial killer that 
I don't know. There's there's definitely something else going on as yeah. well. Uh, I like the idea, by the way, of, of of the two joined crime books. Yeah, and it's not kind of just like even like Ed Brubaker crime. This is like kind of slightly weird future crime. Yeah, and, a little larger. And so there's than life so the, crime. you know what? By the way, this is dedicated to Russell. Hey Russell, <laughs> six figures for you. We're dedicating the the murder comic to you. Yes. I don't know if it's up your alley. I think it probably isn't, but it's dedicated to you. Just for <laughs> um, you. I, I also I like that you could read both. So far, at least, you could read both these stories and not read the other. Correct. They're both standalone stories, but they are mirrors of each other. Yep. Right. Each one has a mystery, but they're actually slightly different. The art installation that he goes to in this, uh, the weird hand uh, blood dripping thing was uh, creepy as hell. Oh, yeah. Um, Then we've got a big uh, milestone issue, Spawn number 350. Um, You will see more of this on our shelves than usual because they, they did an incentive... In March, we'll be getting a signed by Todd McFarlane cover of Spawn. Yep. Pretty cool. Um, it is crazy to think 350 issues. I'm trying to think, you know, Marvel and DC have gotten up there with their big characters. Yep. Most of the time, you don't see that now unless they, you know, it's like they do one of those things where they're like, let's just add all the Deadpool comics that have come out together and say, now he's on issue 217. Yes. Um, but uh, 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 congrats to Al Simmons on... Uh, uh, 350 <laughs> issues of Lurking on Rooftops. <laughs> uh, but this one's all about who's going to take the, the throne of hell. Uh, well, I thought you were going to say who's going to take the cape, and I'm like, they can't be replaced. Spawn, Spawn killed Malabogia, and uh, and so someone has to be the new king of hell. Oh, that's right. We'll find out who that is. I'm an It's not the clown. Okay. Uh, also, I guess at the end, the little, little timer, we had his timer. He's uh, down to 0, 0. 0.01. It's like one second left. What's going to happen when it goes off? I don't know. I think he detonates. Oh, maybe so. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you haven't been reading Spawn or haven't been reading Spawn, big milestone issue. Yep. <laughs> um, the Black, White, and Blood, which uh, is an anthology series Marvel yep. does, uh, crosses over into the Alien universe. There are uh, three stories in this anthology story about uh, aliens, and aliens have blood. What's interesting, they also use green. They right, do I use think green. they wanted that to be like the acid blood, yep. right, or whatever. Yep. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, these always have some really pretty. Blood art, doesn't always have style. to be red. What's that? Does, blood doesn't always have to be red. That's right. It's blood. It's so it's green, green and, and yeah, red. That's true. Yeah. It's alien blood. They found a, um, they found a loophole. They but did. I think like the main thing is yes, these are showcases like for art. It's you know it's also yeah. short stories, but like it's really these are all about seeing the arts breathe. So if you like the xenomorphs, if you want to see them drawn in cool ways, this this is the book. Yep. Uh, then we got Predator: The Last Hunt from Marvel. This is a. Uh, I guess, Dave, you said there's a woman who's, like, been hunting predators. Yeah, this, this, a, this must weave through various miniseries from the past. Well, there's been one miniseries pre- prior to this one. Uh, this is just a continuation of that character. Uh, her family was killed by predators, and she basically uh, has a vendetta against them now. Uh, According it, to the thing I read, it, it like, some wiki or something like that said she killed, like, 14 or something. Yeah, she's killed them. a bunch of predators along the and way. And so they've got this, uh, what, I don't know, this is what the solicit called it. I don't know if this is a cool name or not, but they call him a super predator. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, that, that's, like, hunting her and is going to kill her. Yeah. Um, I don't know well, she has uh, exactly their... what that is. Well, because is it just she's like a more some... swole predator. I'm sure it is. Do they have better weapons? Uh, Maybe this well, guy she... uses a gun. <laughs> she's killed a bunch of predators, so she has all of the predator weapons. And stuff, okay, so she's definitely forced to be reckoned with. All right, that sounds that sounds like a fun fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got Elvira meets H.P. Lovecraft, <laughs> in which H.P. Uh, Lovecraft comes to Elvira in her dreams 
and tries to recruit her to take on some kind of Cthulhu thing, and she reminds him that he's a terrible racist. <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding. That's what happens in the books. That's pretty funny, and uh, certainly is one of those things that was like, when I was growing up, when he would get mentioned, like, maybe every once in a while somebody would say, well, of course, Lovecraft was somewhat known for a few retrograde habits. Now it's kind of front and center. People are very well aware of it. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, that sounds fun. It's uh, Elvira seems like the, fun. She seems like the person to dress him down for. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Distillery has a new book. These are the guys who do sort of the black label style oversized comics. They've done yeah. Somna. That, Gone. Uh, da- uh, was it? Gone. Gone. Yeah. Uh, this one they, is... They have a lot of talent there. This is Mirka Andolfo, who you may know from... Unnatural. Unnatural. Or uh, the other, other one. stuff. Uh, anyway, uh, this is her writing and drawing a story about a futuristic, like, Christian organization that basically they um, they have their their they're a Christian pop music organization. Um, so it's like a is the church has has basically gotten to the point where they um, they proselytize and they faith heal and all this stuff. And they've got, like, celebrities. Oh, that actually sounds... This sounds fun. That's where it starts. And then there is a uh, woman who is, like, giving in to temptation. Because it is a Mark Gandalfa book. Uh-huh. And uh, right, it's about she, that. She, by the way, does she happen to draw this one? She does. She writes and draws. Okay. But the name of the one is... She draws some sexy characters. The name of it is Blasphemous. As in Blasphemous, but also famous. It's a portmanteau. It's a portmanteau. It's a good manteau. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, all right. And then other stuff on the list. Uh, second issue of Hellboys are Dead in America. Uh, second issue of James Bond 007 by, by Garth Ennis. Uh, new story arc for Nightwing. Uh, new story arc for Titans. Third issue of Sentry. Sixth issue of Daredevil, which guest stars Doctor Strange. Another issue of Green Lantern War Journal, which has been really good. Another issue of Spider Boy. Uh, an issue of Superman, which is getting into the Lex Luthor Revenge Squad. Uh, anything else on the comics list? I uh, think that's all the fifth issue stuff. of Gods. All right, fifth issue of Gods. That's, Marvel, that's the Marvel Gods. Gods. Yeah, and then the second issue of uh, Fall of the, or Rise of the Powers of X. Rise of the Powers of X. Yep. Yeah. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back and talk about some news. All right, we don't have a lot of news this week, but what we do have is pretty notable. Yeah. And all of it involves Marvel. That's true. Marvel dominated the news cycle this week. Yeah, well, smartly done. Yep. So let's first talk about the thing everybody's most recently talking about, which is the X-Men 97 trailer. Right. Yeah. This is like uh, very much a teaser trailer kind of thing. It's about yeah. uh, a minute long, but like some of that is just flashbacks to the, ori- the last episode of the original cartoon, <laughs> where I-, I forgot Xavier died. What did yeah. he even die of? I have no idea. Legacy virus, maybe? I don't know. That could be. Broken um, heart. I'm used to I'm used to Xavier dying a few times in Cancer. the comics, but uh, yeah, he was a he was a pack a day uh, three pack a day smoker. <laughs> they uh, they you know you you don't see it now because everything's so woke. But uh, back in the old <laughs> X Men, he was just lighting up in every panel just constantly. <laughs> he and C and Wolverine would be smoking cigars together. <laughs> True. Welcome to the X Men. Kitty, care for a smoke? <laughs> <laughs> then he blows smoke in her face. <laughs> Loving the X-Men. Hope you survive the cancer. It's a second-hand smoke experience. <laughs> oh, man. Today is a day. Uh, no, but there's a dramatic thing where he's, um, you know, doing the deathbed, you know, farewell to the X-Men. 
And then they, by the way, they do this kind of in a neat way where they're like, they like show like the old Saturday afternoon thing where they're like, tune in next week for, you know, X-Men, you know, next Saturday for the finale. And, uh, you know, it's like you're watching a TV in 1997. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so you see that, and then they do the kind of that little, that that for, fast forward sound. And you see the modern times, and things still seem rough for mutants. And um, it's uh, a, a newspaper blows by, though, that has some little hints and Easter eggs you can look at. Uh, there's there it, it, it mentions Spider Man in the corner and yep. asks if he's a mutant. Yep. Uh, there's a hell, the Hellfire Gala, so we know there'll yep. be modern events going on. And um, uh, the br- glimpsed at like at a mutant fashion show are Banshee, uh, I think Dust. Yeah. Uh, so I saw something that said Dupe from Ecstatics was in there, cool. and somebody else. But most of these characters that, that they will show rapidly in a series of quick cuts. Are characters that are, that are the classic ones. So it's Scott, you know, and Wolverine saying something jerky. Yep. Uh, it's Storm with her commanding voice. It's Rogue with some sugar. But she's got a mohawk. Oh, she, that's right. She, she has did a mohawk, have the but mohawk. she does not have the leather costume. Mohawk, right. yeah. mohawk Storm, and people don't understand this. Mohawk Storm is the coolest Storm. However, Mohawk Storm is not just Storm of the Mohawk. She got the leather costume. Yeah, that's true. She needs to look like basically an eighties. Yeah, punk. this is not Mohawk Storm. This is just Storm of the Mohawk. That's different. All right, right. So, but it's so, still fine. It's it's fine. It's good. Give them a chance, Randy. We don't know how how, how all they're going to depict. It's just yeah. one glimpse. Yeah. Uh, but it is interesting because we've seen elements of stories of stories that are old school, like stories from the eighties, basically yep. uh, glimpses of things from the nineties, and and then glimpses of things from the present, like the Hellfire Club Gala. Yeah, obviously a present day thing. It's not going to be some Krakoa type thing. There's no way they're going to just dive right in on that. Uh, so I think it's just going to be like the Hellfire Club has this, and the X Men have to infiltrate it or right. something. Although is Kitty in the main team in, on, on X Men? I don't think she is. Jubilee no. more or less replaced Jubilee her. Or so I don't know what is how Kitty they even in the X Men cartoon. They must. Have. I'm sure she showed up at some they, point. It would be fun if they did the Marauders. That's like that's what she's been off doing. Uh, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, I'd be down for that. Um, but there, at the end of this, you see Magneto was like. Uh, like Xavier, I guess, like willed him everything, seemingly. Yep. Which, which that ties into the uh, X Men two hundred era. But of course, Magneto, right. like, yeah, says right around, it in a sneer. Yeah, yeah, he says it kind of evilly, but <laughs> like evil X, he's evil Magneto. But I think they are going to be doing the same story, roughly that they did. I think this was mid or mid to late eighties. Yeah, where he was, uh, he he basically he, took over the school. Yeah, he, he was the headmaster. He took over Xavier's spot, but he wasn't evil. He was trying to redeem himself. He was trying yep. to redeem himself. And I bet they do the same thing in the cartoon. I think they're because they're they're playing up. They're playing it as a sneer. Yeah. But I bet he is going to be like, I'm going to try and be a good Magneto. I'm going to try to be a good Magneto. <laughs> That's how it's going to go. Good yeah, Magneto. Like yeah. <laughs> so I was um, curious to see. I was because. I did not watch. I, did you? Did you watch all this? Nick? Did you watch these? Characters? I watched a huge chunk of it. Uh, this was a, a huge part of my Saturday morning uh, so growing I, up. I don't know what they did and didn't do in this because they did I, a lot. I only watched the first season, but they I did, know like they did Genosha, they did Sinister, they did well, what's uh, weird, Days like, of Future Past. They did like, but they did these kind of these stories, these classic stories like Phoenix Saga. But then like Cable and Gambit would be in it because that was the correct, team. yeah, and that was always weird to me. So the Juggernauts, they did the Juggernaut, they did Genosha, uh, they did... Well, Cable the, was introduced because of all the Apocalypse stuff that they missed. They did with. the Morlocks. Yep, they did Morlocks. Um, they uh, they did the Cure, which is something where they tried to cure Rogue, maybe? The band? Oh, no. It's a flashback to Rogue's origins, okay. They did the Four Horsemen. Yep, Apocalypse um, stuff. 
The let's see what they else they did the imp- like all the Shire stuff right wow. that came out to the, the death of Phoenix right they did a story Phoenix. referencing life death too you know what I saw, I saw a clip just the other day of Rogue fighting Gladiator yep. and she hits him with a, a a column Randy like a concrete column yeah. that breaks over him and I was like oh she was more or less doing the Colossus role yeah. there yeah um, I know they had Colossus on the show yep. Yep. but um, that she was at least in that moment she she kind of replaced him uh, in the story I mean this is the show that kind of I it think did for, amalgamate them. Yeah, it did amalgamate, but for me, it also kind of like cemented certain characteristics into these characters that kind of live on in my head. Sure. Like Beast is that Beast for me. Yeah, yeah. That, that version of kind of right. Like He's the, the talkative scientist. Kind of, yeah, uh, nice guy. Yeah, uh, and Wolverine is you know Wolverine. Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, by the way, they have many of the same voice actors. Yes, many of the uh, same voice actors. And otherwise, pretty good sound-alikes, I'd say. Yeah, the uh, Cyclops one I thought was the I thought it was one, him, but, yeah. But uh, it is not. I think the original Cyclops uh, voice actor died, if I'm not maybe. mistaken. If I'm not mistaken, by the way, also, um, maybe just based on toys that have come out, we, we are pretty certain they're going to do the Goblin Queen, a.k.a. the Inferno storyline. Yeah. I think so. Uh, although... That does look like Jean pregnant. I don't yeah, know Cyclops exactly like how Scott has like his hand on her on her uh, stomach. Uh, yeah, that's definitely Jean and not. Y- yeah, I know. And I was just like, okay, so that's a swerve because that never happened, yeah. right? Uh, and we don't know if this is somehow some version of Cable, some version of Rachel Summers. Um, I also know that. The, by the way, that could be a dream sequence too. It's true. Yeah. There's like no way to even know for sure. Yeah. I also know that Sunspot is going to play a major, yep. a more major role. I wonder oh. if he's going to be doing some funding because he's always from a rich family. It's true. Well, I mean, he is like his father was on the Hellfire Club, right? So uh, this was here's the funny thing. I, I I skipped most of this in the '90s. I was a Batman the Animated Series guy through and through, and to me, the animation just couldn't hold a candle. Well, no. And the writing, when voice directing wasn't up there. Now I can kind of look back and see that how faithful in a lot of ways they were to the comics, even though they kind of mixed and matched. Yeah. But um, it has been so long since I've seen basically classic X-Men. Mm-hmm. And even though this isn't quite my classic X-Men, it feels a lot closer than anything I've seen in a while. <laughs> so I'm kind of excited to see it. I remember uh, back in the day uh, when these had come out, Pizza Hut, of all places, huh? did like these VHS compilations that they oh. sold at like their brick and mortar stores. Yeah. And it was like Night of the Sun, basically like the opening couple of story arcs. Yeah. And I was like, I had those. Yeah. Uh, that, that's how dedicated I was. I, I was like, Mom, take me to Pizza Hut. I need. <laughs> Remind me, Nick, who was in that era, who was your favorite X Men? Ah, uh, Cyclops. Okay. Fair and, enough. Still the same, but of course he wasn't wearing his best costume in the in the cartoon. Oh, the one with the white on it. Yes, yes. As you all have all dubbed the architect. Uh, I agree. <laughs> he's not wearing his best costume. I disagree with what you think the best costume. What is your What is your best costume? The classic one. The the one that the one that was like the Dave Cockrum. I yeah, guess, the Dave Cockrum version. Yeah, the That's blue and gold. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not so far from Jim Lee's. No, Jim Lee's had extra belts. And extra belts had a little cross piece on it, which did make him look different from everybody yeah, else. Like, ultimately. I, I was I was about to say there have been no bad Cyclops costumes, but I forget there was a period there in the early two thousands where they did some really ugly like long hair Cyclops, or was that just Age of Apocalypse? That was Age of Apocalypse. There was where he had one. There actually had been, one. Eye. There's definitely been some ugly Cyclops he's, costumes. He's done pretty good though. But mostly yeah, he's done pretty his well. Track record even, is solid. Even the diving suit costume that John Cassidy gave solid, him was really solid, solid, solid look. Solid look. 
Uh, anyway, yes, I agree. Uh, the best look is uh, blue and gold buccaneer boots. Yep. Uh, the modern visor, as opposed to the just kind of flat visor of the sixties. Yeah. Uh, that, that was I, that is his. Best I don't want to see two. I don't want to see two red eyes from Cyclops. That's yeah. not. That's not Cyclops. Sick bastards. Yes. Uh, uh, Earth, one, now one. I know you. You. You have maybe a little less interest than in, in the '90s X Men than I do. Are you going to try this out? I'm going to try it out. I. I don't have a ton of interest in this in this cartoon. Uh, it's a little cheesy for me. Uh-huh. It came out when I was in college, uh, and I, it came out about the same time Batman Animated did, and it just did not compare well to it. Right. Yeah. Um, what I'm Spider-Man wondering that, about, you know, they show you glimpses of it in this, and they're playing the X-Men music, and it's cut a little bit like kind of the rapid pace of the old ones. Yeah. Um, and what I'm wondering is if, you know, they will essentially pay homage to that, but they will kind of modernize it. I know to some degree that has to happen. I, I think you're probably They're right. not going to have Storm constantly talking like this. <laughs> but it is the same actress. But they, they won't, I think, stray wildly from it. Um... But uh, yeah, I wonder if a that you know, it's going to be just done a little bit. Obviously, I think it's going to be done a bit better. Yeah. Um, uh, I believe the animation is uh, CG. Somebody said, but like cell shaded over it. Like it looked. It looked. Yeah, I think the animation me. looks really good. Uh, oh, I found the ugly Cyclops costume I was thinking about. Yeah. It was that Bendis era one where he has the big X over his face. Oh, oh, that was awful. That's a hideous costume. Yeah, also, I knew. I knew he had an ugly costume. Not allowed. Yeah. Also, the Phoenix version of Cyclops. The Phoenix version of Cyclops is yeah. also not cool. Also, yeah. Bendis era. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, what's Bendis the commonality? Is, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not like it, that. It wasn't enough that he messed up the Avengers. No, it clearly wasn't. Um, Thank God the guy didn't ever get to Thor. <laughs> uh, um, so. Everyone else was talking about this. This is what stole the news cycle. Yep. But right before that was the thing that I was excited about, which which had a couple of days. Yeah. That is the Fantastic Four casting we finally got. Yeah. Very cleverly announced on, on Valentine's, Valentine's Day, Day. With, a, with a really good piece of art by artist Ben something. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. There's not an artist I knew. I, I followed him. I, I saw that one of the artists posted. I followed him on Instagram. Was it? Um, uh, I'll I'll see if I can find it. But at any rate, uh, we have our casting. Which, by the way. Um, I I think this was a surprise, right? Like, like they didn't tell us this was coming. No, they didn't tell us it was coming. I mean, it was heavily rumored that a lot of these people had been approached for a Marvel project. Wesley Burt is the artist. Oh, interesting. Okay. And by the way, the, this is done as, um, it is a piece of art, but it's kind of, not photorealistic, but photo-referenced, kind of. Um, and it looks a little bit like Phil Noto's style, if you know that. Yeah. Um, it, it's a neat, like, it looks like a Valentine's Day poster, where it's yeah. like Valentine's Day at the Baxter Building or whatever. Reed is given a present to Sue. Uh, you know, uh, Ben is reading a newspaper, the in thing form, and everything. Johnny is kind of looking at him like he's kind of wisecracking with him. Yep. Herbie is down on the it's ground serving drinks, and serving it is drinks. clearly the 1960s. Yes. yes. So those are all the key kind yeah. of. Yeah. Thing moments. is, reading the Life magazine from like 1963. Yeah. Right. Oh. Right. It, Nick uh, had looked it up and saw that it was basically the in, the inauguration of LBJ after the death of JFK. So yep. that puts it at a very specific place in time. Yep. And then Dave was like, "What if the Fantastic Four <laughs> killed JFK?" Okay. <laughs> and that's why they've got to escape to the negatives. Yeah, we've yes. got to get to the future and uh, before we get before this people, pinned on us. Before people realize that I use my stretchy powers to stretch a bullet into his head. <laughs> that's, that's the maker from uh, the Ultimate Universe. Yeah, that's true. And that would be Sue to do that. Not You're right, me. Sue could totally yeah. do that. 
Jesus. Yeah. Um, but no, actually, there is a, quite the opposite, though. There's a very wholesome vibe to this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Pedro Pascal looks like he's... Doesn't he kind of look like he's sort of almost like dancing in place yep. with, oh, his, yeah. with yep. his wife? Yep. Like, kind of like doing dance steps around her and, and having I've, fun. I've seen a little pushback from some people on Pedro Pascal. They're a little worried that he is either... I've seen Overexposed. Say, some people say he's a little old. Yep. Uh, and some people have said they wanted... They want, they're, they're like, I don't know if I can see him playing Reed. You know, and and I think people are imagining the jerky, uh, mean scientist Reed, which yeah. I don't think he's going to play. No. I, I, and I don't want that either. I don't want that either. I, I, I want kind of the family man Reed. Most uh, versions of Reed nowadays are some version of a fairly warm and caring husband and yeah. father, um, who's also a scientific genius, but isn't like, get out of my lab! If you yes. want to play him, you can play him a little aloof. Like, he doesn't quite sometimes yeah. get the situation. Yeah, I think there's a way to sort of update <laughs> Reed like that, yeah, where he's uh, maybe a little on the spectrum, kind yeah, of, yeah. Reed. <laughs> but Vanessa Kirby is playing Sue. She's great. great. It's a fantastic. Uh, if you've seen her in the Mission Impossible movies. Or Hobson Shaw. Or Hobson Shaw. Uh, now those are both big action. Those are like action franchise and stuff. Like, like, do we know like she's a a good actress or is she action movie? She's good in both of those. Yeah, she's good in both of those. She's not well in in Mission Impossible. She's not super actiony. She's kind of like you're not going to. I'm just saying, like Tom Cruise is a is a great actor, but I wouldn't say I really see his acting skills stretched in the Mission Impossible movies. Uh, I was trying to think where I feel like there's something else notable that she's been in. Uh, I was just going to look her up. But I think those are a good kind of like she was in the crown. Yeah, okay, she was. She plays Princess Margaret. Yep, uh, in like the first season, I think. Okay, um, but yeah, I think those are good primers for what the MCU. Sure, kind sure, of. yeah. No, I was just just curious if they'd done any real work. <laughs> <laughs> sure, nice. Um, uh, Human Torch is um, uh, Joseph Quinn. Joseph Quinn, aka. Eddie from Eddie, Eddie yeah. Stranger from Things, things. Yep. yeah, aka you know Metalhead Eddie from the last season, the, yep. the fan favorite new character. It's true. Okay, so here's a quote from her on IMDb from Vanessa Kirby. She says, "I'm not, I'm not an action movie type. I'm a theater nerd from London." So, mm-hmm. so that's her self-proclaimed <laughs> style. Yeah. Actually, the fact that she was on, um, what, what was the, the, the crown, crown. Uh, th- that's sort of notable. She also played Josephine in the recent no- Napoleon movie. I mean, not to knock it, though, uh, I feel like every British actor was on the crown. <laughs> like, no matter like what, no, no matter pedigree or not, before that, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. if you want to keep your citizenship. Yeah, you have to be on the <laughs> crown. Uh, but anyway, I, um, I, I I like her. I think that's good casting. Yep. Um I Joseph think the, Human Torch is good, and then he was getting a lot of flack for it. Like he's not really? pr- he's not pretty enough to be Johnny Storm like because God. Johnny Storm is supposed to be like a model. This is this is the internet that Johnny I've Storm's read. Not supposed to be a model. He's a car guy. Well, I, wasn't he like supposed to be like a no? Maybe Once Upon a Time, but he's not MJ. And no. even she wasn't, by the way, always a supermodel. No, he no. was a. He, he was, was a hot rodder. He was a hot rodder. He was a punk kid hot rodder. I don't know. The internet's dumb. What can the I tell you? Internet's dumb. That is not unless maybe it was some one of the movie versions, and they, that's what they're basing it off of. That's probably. I don't know. Uh, I think he's going to do fun. I think he's got the right uh, sensibility, of, like right. comedic timing, like a kind and, of a likable smartass. Yeah, likable smartass this is what yeah. exactly what Johnny should be. And then uh, we've got Evan Moss Bacharach. Yep. Who is? Um, on the bear, if you've seen the bear, he's fantastic in yep. that. Uh, if not, there's something else. Oh, he, he played Microchip in the Punisher series. He did. He was also uh, on <laughs> on the show Andor. He was on Andor, right? Okay. Um, he is 
great. He's probably my favorite casting besides. Uh, um, I can't quite picture what he sounds like. Does now the thing he's, is usually he's going to sound like Reed. He's going to we'll like probably get some a little bit of processed stuff. He is also he, a, a Jewish uh, yeah. actor, so yeah, this is like important. A, but also, if you watch the Bear, he's got that sort of. Streetwise, yeah. growly. If you told me that he was a Yancey uh, street, I would totally uh, bought that. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to be perfect. The visual on the thing is like a classic comic version of yep. him. Yep, with the rocky brow and yep. all of that. He's about he's big, but he's not a giant. Uh, he's he, he looks like comic the thing in the comics. I'm yeah. excited. I am very excited about this. Uh, it being a period piece is one of those things. Of like, I wish. I mean, we've been hoping for. We've been hoping for it. I'll say this, um, X-Men sort of by accident turned into a period piece. The X-Men movies are a period piece of like the 2000s, and then they actually made a period piece. Yes. Right. But I think the notion of sort of period piece Marvel superhero movies is a good idea. I mean, Captain America did it. Captain right. Marvel did it. I think we talked about how it, they could have done it had they wanted with Doctor Strange. Yeah. Uh, you know, the kind of trippy 60s Greenwich Village yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah, like... I don't think that, um, like, a lot of them, I think you want to go ahead and make them contemporary. But this, it's it's good that they are discovering that they can do this. Yes. Um, and and we're all assuming that they will then time travel by means of the negative zone or something, or the quantum realm or something yeah. like that, into the future. Yep. But we uh, don't know that. I mean, for all we know, they can just keep them in the 60s. Right. Or right. for all we know, they're going to pop up in uh, Deadpool. Yep. Uh, right, it may be that like instead of them coming to us, other heroes will go to their world yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, we don't know what the villain's going to be. Um, We're guessing not Doctor Doom, but we don't know. Yeah, I, I do think they'd be smart to set up Doctor Doom, mm-hmm. but I think it'd be interesting. I mean, there's a lot of other villains in the FF's pantheon. Uh, if they go to the negative zone, Annihilus would be kind of yeah. an obvious one to play with. Uh, but they, they, they could do Puppet Master for all we know. Give, like right. give me Diablo or no one. <laughs> These are all characters that I think you could do cool film versions yeah. of. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Doctor Doom is a post-credit sequence. Yeah. But I also wouldn't be shocked if they're not, if they just don't do it. If they leave Doctor Doom for future. Just don't give me any of that Van Damme shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> His name is Doom. That was an Ultimate's error. Well, we Rubber. know, and Matt Shackman, we know he can handle kind of like the period eras pretty well. Right, yeah, I guess he did working, WandaVision. If people don't know, is he did WandaVision, he did Lo- some of Loki. But he also has worked on pretty that's, much that's If you've watched the TV show in the past like 20 years, yeah. you've, you've seen something. It. Oh, yeah. Because he's worked on It's Always, he did like 43 episodes of It's Always Sunny. Yep. Uh, Which, by he, the way, is probably only 10% of It's Always Sunny, because that show's been running for like 15 yeah. years. But he did like an episode of The Great, two episodes of Game of Thrones. Okay, yep. Two episodes so of this, this, that's Monarch. Directing this is directing yeah. it, yeah. Monarch, uh, Legacy of Monsters. You know, yeah, yeah. He did, he's just all is all around. Uh, last bit of news, and I'm very excited about this. Uh, Barry Kitson accidentally broke this news on Instagram. And that's then, that's uh, comic artist Barry Kitson. Comic, yep. comic artist Barry. They are doing omnibuses of the Marvel DC crossover stuff, which has been out of print for decades. Yep. Right. Marvel and DC have had kind of stopped talking to each other when the movie era hit and real big money started flowing around. So... We will so, be getting but two talkings. We will be getting one that is like all the various one shot crossovers. Yep. Batman Spider Man, Batman Punisher, uh Silver Surfer Galactus. Or no, uh, not Silver Galactus, Dark Side, yeah. uh, Cap and and uh Batman. There's all Did kinds they of stuff. Include the Marvel versus DC, is that so in the other omnibus, the Amalgam universe, is that they're gonna per- do the two Marvel versus DC and then because those led into the Amalgam that's universe. That's right, that's right. Which is cool. I don't actually own any of that stuff. I know I have the Amalgam stuff, but I don't have the Marvel versus DC. You were a crazy person and you had all of your single I issues bound together. Hardcover, yes. 
But I, uh, I will absolutely buy both these omnibuses. Um, and my hope is that this is leading into new Something. Marvel DC stuff. I'd be tempted It'd be by so the cool. amount of them. I don't know what what would have possibly caused the thawing. Between well, I mean, them. I'll tell you what it caused the thawing. Dan has gone. Yeah. Joe Casada's gone. Everybody who was fat fighting each other is gone from the, these companies. I guess, but it's the thing is, it's like I, I at least kind of get the money thing. It, like, I feel like you don't want to direct any love towards your competitor if you're going to be kind of cutthroat about it. I have a feeling. Marie Javins is, is EIC over there now, mm-hmm. and CB Sabolski at, at Marvel, and, they're and both the chill. two of them they're they're chill and they're new they're 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 not built into these structures the same way, and I think well, they probably they were able to, to make this work. Yeah, and if they we get always those the people like we're on a bunch of like forums and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, if Marvel and DC did a crossover, it would really revitalize the the market and stuff like that. It's, and it's a little crazy, but it's not that crazy. It's a license <laughs> to print money. Yeah, like yeah, like, like we saw what happened with like Team Into Last Ronin and that kind yeah. of. There was a huge nostalgia. If you told me that there's a Deadpool Harley Quinn book, there or... should absolutely be a Deadpool Harley Quinn. I don't even like both those characters that much. No, but, that would, but that's, that's... we were we were saying the other day that they should do, have Miles and Spider Gwen and hang out. with with uh, Raven Boy. and Beast Boy, yep. yeah. but also uh, Blue Beetle and and Miles would make a lot of sense. Yep, yep. Uh, legacy heroes. There's you know, a lot of when, fun. You could have a lot of fun. When with I was that. growing up, Marvel and DC would do these crossovers. They were pals that took shots at each other, but they would do the kind of you know jokingly DC called their call instead of saying DC they call say our distinguished competition. competition. <laughs> yep. And you know they would they would like I said they would toss some shots at them, but they didn't hesitate to sometimes name drop them if like. You know, an artist crossed over from one side to the other to do something, and they're like, "Oh yeah, he'd been working on this book at our competitor or whatever." Yeah, yeah. And and it was just like there was a bit more of an era of friendly rivalry, which mm-hmm. I would love to have that back. Yeah, yep. that'd be Agreed. so fun. And uh, you know, to think of it, you know, even weird stuff like things that doesn't that I wouldn't you know wouldn't immediately think of would be cool. Some weird crossover between like the Doom Patrol and I don't know who Marvel's weirdest. I mean, X Men is. is who probably they would do. Yeah, but. yeah, but that'd be a fun one. Yeah, okay. but Miss Marvel was not around when they did this last crossover. No? So someone, someone she crossover. I'm sure there are other DC characters that have that are new that are, that have been introduced in that time too. I'm just having trouble thinking of them. Damn. But there's all kinds of characters that that weren't around for DC versus Marvel originally. Yep. And there's also lots of new stuff to be done, like new versions of these characters. So Lobo needs to go out and 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 get into it with the Guardians. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> It'd be fun. Actually, Guardians Legion of Superheroes too. Right. Uh, actually, if Guardians had to like bring in Lobo or something yeah, like that, yeah. um, but ultimately I have to team up with them because there, stuff. There would be a lot of fun stuff to do, and I, I hope that that's what they're leading toward. Yeah. I want to see uh, Peter Quill, uh, like after they've taken down Lobo somehow or another for a while, yeah. trying to ride Lobo's bike. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they don't do new stuff, though, these crossover omnibuses are going to be really cool. Yeah, those they're pricey. It's one of those things. If you want them, you want to pre-order them because we won't get a lot for the shelf. Yeah, yeah, we but, can't guarantee it if you have not pre-ordered it. But uh, if nothing else, the Amalgam universe is so worth seeing. The combination. Oh yeah, of, let's, let's just quick say yeah, for people, people who, who know this, who, who, who are the youths or just missed it, this was a '90s thing. Yep. DC and Marvel, they did a series, a four-series DC vs. Marvel. The fans got to vote on who won in these yep. matchups. Right, so it'd be like uh, Storm versus Wonder Woman and Lobo versus Wolverine and stuff and like that. And then Peter David wrote it based on these pre-scripted, like, what the endings were going to be. Yeah. He wrote a series. And then at the end of the story, they the two universes merge in what they call the Amalgam universe. 
that put together things like there's a character named Super Soldier who is a cr- is a crush between Captain America and, and Superman. Superman. That's the two characters he's made up of. Dark Claw, Dark Claw, who's Wolverine, Batman, um, JLX, which is just was like a Justice League X Men crossover, yeah. mm-hmm. and these are all characters as if they had a shared history together, as if all these characters were jumbled in the same universe from the beginning. Yeah, it was a cool idea. It's a really fun idea. There's a lot of cool stuff they did. Bruce Wayne, Agent of Shield. Yeah, um, lots of cool fun stuff like that. Uh, worth, worth pure speculation on our part, by the way, that, that anything could come after these omnibuses, right. but wouldn't it be cool? Yes, it'd be it's cool. also what Spider Boy, Spider Boy, the original Spider Boy, the yes. original Spider Boy, <laughs> which was Superboy, then then popular as Superboy Counter Kent, yep, and yeah, Spider Man, Spider Man. Yeah. It was a that was a cool cover. that was a fun book. Michael Ringo art, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of good artists, a lot of good writers on these. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, that 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 second crossover omnibus will be really good, but the first one will have. There's a John Byrne Cap- Captain America Batman that's a really good read. Is it going to have the X Men Teen Titans? In uh, there? I believe X Men Teen Titans. I think will be the only that thing is actually my. If I had to pick one favorite, that's it. The only one that is not going to be reprinted in this is the JLA Avengers. Right, because it had its own reprint. It's yeah. kind of its own big thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would be a sh- it'd be nice if they could get that also reprinted. I, but I would love for it, and and hopefully it is in the works. I, yeah. I would imagine something. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk topics. Let's talk about. Uh, the movie challenge. Okay. Because yep. it is it is week three of the movie challenge. I think we've all slowed down a little bit. I definitely, yeah, well, um, or continued I, my... Stuck, yeah, you stuck in... I stuck in a few, um, but but I did hit some speed bumps. Life and other things has gotten the way. Yeah. Um, but I've got a few. Um, and I watched uh, five movies this time out, and then I slowed I think down I've got, that. I think I've got three. Nick? I'm somewhere in that five ballpark as well, I okay. think. Okay. Next, the only one that's going to hit 28, I think. 28 or 29. I probably will, but I don't know if I'll finish all my categories. I, yeah. I definitely gave like myself some uh, expanded uh, categories because I was like, oh, well, that one I wanted to watch and it'll fit in here. And, I'll, and some yeah. of mine will have like I, five or six movies. I, I may, I don't think I'm at 28 movies, but I may hit close to like 22, but they may not all be in the challenge because I also watched The Beekeeper. Yeah. And, uh, I and, watched, rewatched, and rewatched The Marvels. I watched Argyle. And I've watched uh, a few movies that weren't on the list. Yeah, so... Argyle's a comedy, right? That could fit in your comedies. Okay, well, I'll have, like, nine comedies that oh, I've well, watched. That's the problem. <laughs> Nick, you want to kick us off and then and give a few that you've seen? Okay, uh, I watched uh, Thelma and Louise. I, this yeah. is the first time I've watched it, because I couldn't remember anything that happened in it other than the, the final moments, hmm. which yeah. is kind of one of those... I kind of in the pop culture. In the pop yeah, yeah, culture. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoy Susan Sarandon. Uh, always have uh, probably Bull Durham was my favorite of hers but she's done so many good movies uh, Gina Davis is also one of those actresses that just kind of captivates the, 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 the screen 80s and, and this was like 1990 or 91 I think but like that, that was like her peak yeah I think uh, and this is a kind of a, a girls road trip movie uh, but a little bit more than that it uh, definitely turns into it definitely turns serious kind of quick uh, but it's the, about they're hum- trying to get away from their humdrum lives. Humdrum lives. Uh, Gina Davis's husband, uh, played by I always forget his name, but he was Man. he played Shooter McGavin in Happy Gilmore. Uh, he he's he one of those is a great asshole. He is an asshole. Uh, he always plays an asshole. I forget what he okay. does. He sell like juice cars or no? He's got some kind of. He's got some kind of suit and tie job, but he's kind of he's cheating on her. He doesn't come home till like four in the morning, right? And he's demanding, and he's but he's also very possessive. Dumb. He's possessive, and he's also dumb. He's like 
Thelma. He's like, where you think you're going? Yep. Um, and uh, she is being uh, secretly, she's, she's covering up that she is going off for like a, a road trip with her best. They're going to like a cabin. Yeah. And um, Susan Sarandon is just kind of in a, uh, they, they, there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of essentially discussion of men and women in this. Yeah. And specifically the difficulties of women right around that time. She's and, a waitress, uh, kind of has a relationship. But it's kind of, he's sort of non-committal. A little bit. Uh, by Michael Madsen. Mc- uh, yeah, Michael Madsen, who actually gives like a, a hell of a performance. It is very this. good because Michael Madsen is the guy who you know cuts off an ear and uh, in Reservoir Dogs. Yep. He is not typically the nice guy, right? In this movie, he's kind of the nice guy. He is not perfect. No, no, not perfect. But, but an interesting and in a movie where definitely the, these women end up feeling like a lot of forces are arrayed against them. Yep. And some of these, there's a lot of bad people that they run into, actually. Mostly men. And mostly men. And they, um, there's a, there's a few halfway decent ones. Yeah. Uh, Michael Madsen's one. Harvey Keitel is another. Yep. Young Harvey Keitel. He looks very babyish. Eh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, he looks I know. Like the same way he always looked. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely without This a, came out a within a year of, like, Reservoir Dogs. He looks less wrinkly. <laughs> than he does this now. has like half the half the reservoir dogs are in it. I mean, it it is, but I will say that Ridley Scott kind of gives more nuanced characters in this yeah. than uh, you would expect. So let's just say there's a there's an inciting incident early yes. on. They're Gina, a, Gina Davis, they have like a road roadhouse. They've, they've basically been driving for a long time. Gina Davis doesn't get out at all, so she's like, "We we I want to stop. Somewhere. Let's do some shots. Let's dance. Let's, let's have, have some a fun. vacation." And they, um, uh, there's a sort of predatory cowboy yep. kind of guy that gets her dancing, and when Susan Sarandon's back is turned, because she's been kind of, she's like the mom of yep. the pair, um, he takes her outside and attempts to assault her. Yes. And, uh, we know that, uh, was, Gina Davis brought the gun, right? Yeah, her husband gave her a gun, but she doesn't want to touch it. She doesn't, she doesn't like guns. She doesn't like guns. She doesn't know how to use so it. So she gave it to Susan Sarandon when they leave to take, to Turns out to. Susan Sarandon knows how to use a gun. She knows how to use a gun. And it, the, the things escalate in this very intense scene and she pops the dude oh. and takes him out and then they get the F out of there. And for that portion of the movie, like, you're like, how can this ever turn into anything that's kind of fun again? Because it is pretty dark and serious. And she is like, she's like, we, I'm, you don't have to come with me, uh, uh, Thelma, but I'm going to go on the run. I'm going to Mexico. She's going to go to Mexico because she doesn't think there's a way out of this. Basically, she's like, it's his word against yours. Everybody saw you dancing with him and flirting with him. Yeah, and it doesn't. No one's going to believe. Good. No one's going to believe us. Right. No one's going to believe us. Uh, and it goes from there. And it goes into some interesting places. They run across a few people. Brad Pitt uh, in kind of like a small early role, but uh, but a memorable. It's like role. his fourth role in a in a movie. Like, yeah, uh, just kind of getting started. Yeah, he's a uh, kind of plays a lovable slash uh, conniving. Uh, Hitchhiker. In, in his way, terrible. Yeah. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, he, in, in some ways, he's as big a triggering event as the scene with the dude yeah. at the roadhouse. Um, and that it, it kind of locks their path. Yeah. Uh, once, once things go bad with him. But the movie does manage to kind of get back on a sort of more fun str- yeah. setting because they sort of both embrace that they're a little bit outlaws at this point. Yep. They embrace it a little bit. They rob a place. They do rob a place. Because they don't have money that they can access. The uh, Them getting pulled over 
the, the <laughs> con man. <laughs> that yeah. scene was amazing. Yeah, it's super good. <laughs> There's actually a lot of amazing scenery around there. They're like driving through that looked like Monument Valley or something like basically that. off the pe- off the beaten path roads. That yeah, kind of are beautiful shots of like you know like honestly things like sometimes oil derricks and things yeah. like that and uh, you know truck stops and uh, you know uh, big Southwest locales. It's crazy to think that you Plateaus could put this things. in the same breath of like Alien for Ridley Scott, but yeah. this is this is. I mean, I'll say this: fantastic. he doesn't have a lot. He, he doesn't like he's best known for those, but he's got a pretty wide variety of movies. You oh, know, he makes American everything. Gangster is a very different movie too. Yeah, he doesn't like um, he isn't shoehorned into one genre of film. He definitely goes. He can make. Uh, he made a romantic comedy, the one with Russell Crowe. I can't remember the title what? of it. Yeah, it's like a I've, romantic I've blanked, comedy. I've blanked on this. <laughs> he like buys a vineyard in. Uh, Want to say like Italy somewhere? Oh, huh, okay. Like, one more day. I can't remember the. I can't remember the name of it. I happen to have watched, by the way, Thelma and Louise recently too, because it's one of my favorite Ridley Scott yeah. movies. Uh, to me, it's like right. It's it is very different, but it is up there with Blade Runner and uh, Alien. Yeah. Uh, uh, I so can see why like that it, is. It's really and it does build to a very compelling ending that I happen to really like. Uh, I did watch The Thieves on uh, yep, Randy's recommendation. Randy, yeah, I, about last week. Uh, I was not as into the first part as Randy was, but once it kind of hit midway, and I kind of saw where the things were going, yeah. even it even, but still, it had a lot of surprise in it, and yeah. I was ended up being very pleased with it. Uh, I just thought the cast was a little massive. <laughs> and I had to get my head around. And that's, a couple and that's of part them. of why the, the heist thing works. It cuts the cast down. But in okay. in the foreign category, I also did have a movie that I think was probably my one of my favorites of this movie challenge so far. Is a movie called Past Lives. It's up for some Academy Awards. It's a directed by Celine Song. It's about a Korean immigrant. Uh, she has a relationship with a young boy, and her family moves to Canada. And then she immigrates from Canada to America to be a playwright. Mm. And then 12 years later, that boy finds her. And they kind of reconnect. Mm. And it's a romantic relationship in the sense that you're just talking to somebody on a, on like, on a video chat. Yeah. And, uh, how can, how long can that go on without like, how, that causes kind of like, mm. well, I can't physically touch you. I can't do, and, it's very human, and it just goes from there. And just what, goes what category was this? It's foreign. Foreign movies. Okay. Uh, it's a, a combination of Korean and uh, and American. Okay. Uh, and I'm really liking these kind of hybrid uh, uh, foreign films that kind of utilize a couple of different languages. It just kind of is the one that I'm going to mention today did, does that too. It, it allow it kind of lets you your brain kind of like breathe a little bit when it you're not having to completely read something all the time yeah uh, and it lets the scenes kind of like I, I don't know it just there's something about it that kind of like clicks with my brain a little hmm. bit I've got I've got one kind of like that too Dave what, what was yours uh, mine is one that was recommended by one of uh, one of our sometimes customers uh, Jeff Jones yep. it's called it's called certified copy uh, which is the name of a fictional book within its setting uh, and it sort of ends up becoming a something of a thematic. Um, but certified copy is like a. I, I actually don't know the main production, but it is it seems like joint like French and Italian maybe, okay. uh, or maybe it's Italian, but it has Juliet Binoche in it, speaking French occasionally, and English is spoken a fair amount of the time in it too. Um, 
I liken it in structure to uh, Richard Linklater's Before Sunrise, his mm-hmm. kind of very famous uh, movie, especially the first one, that starred uh, Ethan Hawke and um, Julie Del- Delpy? Yeah, uh, Julie Delpy. Yep. Um, uh, and showed an almost kind of real-time day in the life of a guy backpacking through Europe as he hits it off with this girl, and there's a kind of a ups and downs of their day. They talk about everything, and they connect, and it's charming. And and then you're kind of left with the, at the end of that movie with the question of will they or won't they are they going to get together that night or not? Um, so certified copy is a more artsier version of that and a little bit like it it actually feels like deliberately wants to be more difficult and kind of dissatisfy you in a way. <laughs> it sounds sounds like well why would I want to watch something that's dissatisfying? I think it's because the characters are fairly compelling though. So you've got uh, both leads, I would say, are in their 40s or maybe 50s. And she is like an antiquities dealer in Italy, and he is a touring writer who is uh, going to like speak at a bookstore, but she's kind of like somehow like in charge because he's writing about ant- antiquities and has some new ways of kind of conceptualizing and thinking about them. She's supposed to take him around and like, you know, take him out for lunch, let him see the this, this city and stuff like that. And they, what's interesting is, like, almost immediately when they begin talking, we know she has a crush. We see her kind of putting on makeup. She wants to kind of look good, clearly. And her kid is talking like, oh, you, you like that guy, don't you? And she's like, hush, hush you. And uh, But she clearly does. They don't really kind of hit it off. They have these awkward conversations where he's kind of devil's advocating against her positions. And it doesn't seem like he'll give her much ground, like just kind of agree sometimes just to like let somebody vent or something like that. But um, it kind of comes out after a while in this. They actually, she pretends to somebody else in a cafe that they're a married couple when he goes outside to answer a phone call. And then it comes out that they were. And that's like the weirdest part of, of it all is that it seems like they she actually does want to reconnect. They've been away apart for a few years, it seems like. And, um, there's, uh, she wants it more than he does, but they both kind of, she, she's like willing to overlook more of his flaws than he's over willing to overlook of hers. It actually does still have something like before sunrise, a question of what happens after the ending. Hmm. You don't exactly know. Uh, it feels less positive than that, but it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I think it's a good ride. Um, I'm glad I saw it. It's, it does somewhat deliberately keep you from like just being like, oh, I like both these people. I want to see them get together. They are kind of both nice, attractive people in their way. And when you first meet them, they both seem like good folks. But when they're together, they kind of don't mix well. <laughs> anyway, it was interesting to watch a movie that challenged what expectations were. And that's what this one did, for sure. Um, I don't know if I'd like super recommend it. But if you kind of like sort of artsy movies, then I would. Uh, for me, this was this was a, a worse week of, of stuff I watched. It's like last week I liked almost everything I watched. This week it was about half and half. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the ones that I was a little disappointed in was this one that was also it was not in my foreign movies. It was in my female directors category. Uh-huh. It's not a foreign movie, but it does take place in China, and I was surprised by the amount of it that was in Chinese. Oh. Uh, it's called The Farewell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched this largely because Aquafina was in it, and I really like Aquafina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting, based on what she had done, this to be sort of a awkward family comedy. It sort is sort of like not, Crazy Rich Asians or something. Yes, yeah. It is not that. It is very much a dark drama. Okay. 
uh, basically the premise of this is that uh, her grandmother is dying of cancer, um, and she they the family finds out, but they but they don't tell the grandmother, so they arrange a fake wedding for two for her her like younger brother and the woman he's been dating for less than a year. Oh, and I've, I I have seen this movie. Okay, there, uh, what's the, say the name the again? Farewell. The farewell, yeah, I, I, yeah, I did see this a couple so, years ago. So she basically, they, they the family's going to fly to China for the wedding because this, this is the chance for all the family to say goodbye to the grandmother, yep. even though she doesn't know that that's what they're doing. Right. And they basically tell Aquafina not to come because they're like, you won't be able to hide it, you won't be able to tell yeah. her, you're, you're going to tell her, it's going to ruin everything. And she goes anyway. Yep. And it is all about some of the culture clash between America and China to some extent, and family dynamics and how she's been the black sheep of the family, and... Uh, that the I felt for the poor young couple that had to get married. Yeah, just to stage this all. Yeah, they clearly were not ready. I think probably they broke up after that. Would be my guess that they were not. Um, but this is also a sweet movie, though. Is it? I I, I found I, it was. I couldn't plug into the characters at all. Um, I thought that it would all seem very surfacey. Like I thought the the relationship between the mom and the dad and then the grandmother. Like there was clearly more than was being said, mm-hmm. and I would have liked a lot more being said. I think a lot of it was mm-hmm. too subtle for me. I think it was all a little quieter than I wanted, a little more real than I wanted, and the um, I, I, I wanted, I guess, a little more dramedy than, than I got. Um, this can, is I, a, can I just assume you did watch the credits? Uh, yeah, I watched the credits. Okay. The credits have some notable reveals about the... Because it's based on a true That's story. That's the thing. I, I didn't realize at the time it was based on a true story. Yeah. yeah. Had I known, I wouldn't have watched it. Oh, because I don't like biopics. I don't like based on a true story for the most part. I, I can't... I, I the, the movie is a little hazy for me, even though I only saw it a few years ago. But I remember quite liking it. Interesting. I, I liked it as well. I was bored. Uh, most of <laughs> You were on your phone. Uh, no, no, but I might have been. Uh, I, I guess... I just thought I didn't think it was playing to Aquafina's strengths. I didn't think that it was a very interesting story. Uh, I thought the premise I thought, so. of, I thought like she was pretty convincing in that role. Oh, she's fine. It's just not what I want her. It's not what I want to see her in. I mean, that's fair. And the thing is, like, I thought the story that the crux of the story was interesting. This whole notion of like, do you tell someone who's dying? Is it going to make their life any better or worse? And I think only part of my problem is like, I'm like, if someone, if I was dying, I want to know, and I'd be pissed. Right, but but that's but, not the but it is supposed to be like yeah, it is, yeah, yeah, and she is meant to kind of like be the westernized person who would think that, yeah, and a lot of her family are like, no, this is not how we do it in, yeah. in yeah. Japan. Yeah, there was a bit where they revealed that um, the grandmother's husband died, in and that he didn't know, and she didn't tell him until close to close, and so at that point, I'm like, oh, well, at this point, then I'm like, she she's okay with this. Because that's what she did to her she husband. She signed off on it. Therefore, even if even if she was mad, she had no right to be mad about it. Right. Uh, and I think that that was too late in the movie for me at that point. Because mostly I watched this movie thinking, this family are all jerks. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't like most of them. And I don't have a lot of family drama, and so I have trouble with the family drama movies sometimes. I think it's that's like... Fair. It, I don't plug into it. Oh, the, the the challenge was to, to try some things outside yeah. your warehouse. You're doing it. But yeah. it definitely definitely was not for me. Yeah, um, sometimes that and sometimes that does mean finding like there's a reason this this one particular at least is outside my wheelhouse. The other two, real quickly, that I, that I wasn't super into. Um, I watched The Lost City, which was one of my comedies. Yep, yep. This is um, it. It the the pitch of it, the movie, the trailer looked like a Romancing the Stone type thing. It's yes. a, a a novelist. Who's a male model who plays her character? Uh, she winds up getting kidnapped because it turns out parts of her novel. She's like a real. romance novelist, and this yeah. dude plays the romantic right. hero in the 
covers and, and stuff. Yeah. It turns out they didn't mention this in the, in the uh, movie in the trailer, but her husband, her, her husband had died, and he was an archaeologist, yeah. and so a lot of her adventure stuff is based on this. So the the there's like this lost city that was in her books that actually is real, and this rich asshole played by Daniel Radcliffe, Radcliffe uh, in very full on James Bond villain mo- mode. Yeah. Uh, basically recruits her, recruits her to come and find this lost city before a volcano buries it. Uh, and when she is kidnapped by Dana Radcliffe, her himbo male model, played by Jane Tatum, hires this rescue specialist he met at a yoga retreat, yep. played by Brad Pitt. Um, the, the trailer promised a sort of romantic triangle thing between actual skilled uh, hostage rescue guy Brad Pitt and well-meaning doof uh, Channing Tatum, and with uh, with this sort of romance novelist in the middle of it, that is not at all what the movie delivered. It is kind of, but it's not. Yeah. Um, but the surprise that happened on my way through it with Brad Pitt kind of won me over. I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. I liked this movie, but I think ultimately it needed a much stronger script to really work. I thought I think the, that's kind of where I was yeah. with it. I thought it was a good time. It's it's fun, but it's not. Super fun. I there was no moment in there. There's nothing. There's no little mule sequence. There's no look at those listen, snappers. Listen, there's, I don't think there's any way you can be. Romancing the Stone is like a four, three and a half, four star movie. It's not it's untoppable. A, it's a five star movie. It's not untoppable, or at least comparable. Four and a half. Four, four to four and a half. <laughs> you could easily make that kind yeah, of movie I, with I this do talent. Think, I do think that these guys could have pulled it off with, uh, and and it could use a better better yeah. script. Um, it's it's not bad. It's not a bad movie. It just was not great. Mm-hmm. Um. The other one I was disappointed in was a movie called The Orion, Orion in the Dark, which is a Netflix animated movie. Mm-hmm. I watched because an, Netflix animated has been like Nimona and The Sea Beast mm-hmm. and like really good movies. And someone recommended this one. Uh, so I was like, oh, I'll check that out. It looked interesting. This is written by Charlie Kaufman. Oh, gosh. Uh, that is... Um, right, known for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mind. Adaptation. Uh, adaptation and um, the... Being John, John Malkovich. So I was like, oh, this could be weird. Yep. And it is, but it's not. <laughs> it's It feels like a lost Pixar movie. It's about this kid, Orion, who's scared of everything, and including being scared of the dark, and then a manifestation of the dark, a human manifestation of the dark, played by the guy from Cobra Kai who plays Stingray. Uh, you'd know his name. He's oh, okay. A, uh, he's, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, basically comes to him and takes him into the night realm where he meets pr- human personifications of uh, dream, sweet dreams and and uh, um, what's when you can't sleep? Insomnia. Insomnia. Uh, and a few other things. And then things get screwed up and he has to re- reassure Dark that he's needed. Um, it's weird. You know, anthropomorphizing these things sounds like a fun idea. Uh-huh. Inside Out does that really well. And Pixar's done that kind of thing really well. It wasn't super fun or funny, mm-hmm. and it wasn't super inventive. I felt a little by the numbers for something by a guy as inventive as Charlie Kaufman. I think I, I heard like a review of this that was wondering, like, uh, like he wrote it, but like I, I think there was some question maybe as to like how involved he was in it, and like uh, well, what changes a, it. It's based to. on a kid's book, right? That's, it, I knew there was something like that. It, like he was adapting it, it or something. Feels like a kid's book. It feels yeah. a little young. Not not clever enough, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, I I I just kind of wanted more clever. I think Nimona and the CB something set the bar a little higher. Yeah, uh, and this this felt like a Shrek sequel level clever. Like it's <clears throat> fine, the art is good. 
Uh, the voice cast is good. But there was nothing about this memorable. I won't remember this movie in a year. Um, <laughs> you just assume what Shrek 4. I just assume what Shrek 4. <laughs> uh, those are the ones I didn't like. But I did watch uh, two sort of older movies. Singing in the Rain, which turns uh-huh. out I had seen before and just forgotten. Yep. Which is a lot of fun. Uh, yep. Some great set pieces. Really right. Nice and for color. people who don't know, like it's funny because we just talked about Sunset Boulevard. It's set in the same era when movies were moving from silent movies to, to talkies. To talkies. And, uh, but, um, it's like the very fun version of yes, that instead yeah. of the incredibly yeah. morose version yeah. of that. Uh, well, and it has like a bunch of fun set piece songs. And, and what's stuff. interesting is this was a movie that at the time they took a bunch of popular songs like Singing in the Rain, yeah. like, uh, what else? Make them uh, laugh. Good morning, make them laugh. And they constructed a story around it. Yeah. So it's not, this is not like, say, like La La Land or what the La Land original music, but like, uh, like Zoe's playlist or something like that where you take, Popular music and build and do new versions and build songs around it. Right. There's some spectacular dance sequences. Don Bo Connor's "Make Him Laugh" is particularly. Impressive. I also I thought that there's like some good, just funny dialogue when, there I, is. when I saw it. Like yeah. the thing that at the beginning when uh, our our lead uh, who um, what is he? What is his job? Is he a he writer? Is, he's, a movie, he's, a, he's a he's a star. He's no, a that's right. Star. He's a, he's just he's one of the stars. Gene Kelly, right? Is Gene, Gene Kelly, yeah. and he's on the red carpet, and he's like he's like that's my you know like. You know the the way I've lived my life, dignity, always dignity. dignity. Yeah, and then you see uh, later on that his, you know, basically as he tells his story and and uh, kind of, oh, I was trained at the finest schools and did all this. You, yeah. you see the the reality of it was all the opposite of that, and yes. all these struggling things. Um, well, uh, and then the uh, his his girlfriend. Yep, she's not his girlfriend. She is in the. She's his like co star. In various things, uh, I'm looking for the name. Is it Debbie Reynolds? It's not Debbie Reynolds. It's the other one. It's uh, Jean Hagen playing Neil Lamont. She is this this oh. sort of kind of a little bit Harley Quinnish. She's got that voice and everything too. And she basically doesn't seem to realize, despite the fact that they've never been in the same bed or anything, that they're not actually a couple. Right. Like she's buying into all Hollywood, all the Hollywood gossip that they're a couple, <laughs> and so she gets very jealous when he Possessive. meets somebody else. And she has this. She has this terrible voice, which is going to make it tougher and talky. So Debbie Reynolds, this actress that he's struggling actress he meets, is going to dub her voice right. in the movie. Yep. Uh, without telling her, because Lena uh, has a really problem with with Debbie Reynolds' character. Right. So they um, have to do it on the sly. Yeah. Essentially. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so there's lots of kind of Hollywood hijinks and screwball yeah. comedy stuff. Definitely in it, much too. screwball comedy. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's a charmer. It's yeah. it's one of those kind of it's movies. Fun. And then I watched His Girl Friday. Oh yeah, which you may know as the uh, the origin of the the Get Out gif that yep. people use that have Cary Grant in his hat and his suit. Doing it's the, funny. I, I've used that gif a thousand times, but when you say Get Out gif, I thought you meant the movie Get Out. Nope. I'm uh, talking about that gif of an old man of a, of a, of a dude in like a hat and a trench coat saying Get Out. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> which comes late in the movie. Yeah. But I uh, that was part of the reason I watched it. I was yeah. like, where did that come from? Yeah, uh, but I was looking for some Cary Grant. This is a Cary Grant, and uh, what's the female lead in this? Rosalind Russell. Rosalind Russell. Um, it is about a this. You know, this felt almost. I feel like this had to an influence on kind of a um, darker story. Than Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, I feel like Aaron Sorkin's yes. version of characters where he's got this scrappy female, this scrappy female character, but ultimately she really just wants to be dominated by a man. It's very, very Sorkin, but, Sorkin version of feminism, which makes sense because it's from like the 1940s. Yeah. But let, let, just, uh, to premise-wise, isn't this like, because I haven't seen it in a while, isn't this like a husband and wife solving a crime? It's a no. husband and an ex-wife. Ex-wife, okay. So, no. Were they ever married? 
Well, they, they were married. They were married. She divorced him. She she's, is now she's, remarrying. She's about to be remarried. Yeah. She, she brings her fiance. She's he a reporter. Is, he's a newspaper reporter. She's a newspaper reporter. And there is a... I was surprised. This is a scribble comedy centered around whether or not a man is going to get hung. Yep. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting uh, but basically, story to hang your hat on. She comes in to give him, like, to, to get something from him for the wedding. And he drags her back into the world of newspaper journalism. Yep. And... It is a question of whether or not she really wants to marry this this insurance salesman guy or whatever he yeah, is. Yeah, it's kind of a... No, kind of decent for boring. Yes. What's weird, boring. the comparison I'd make, and I realize it's a very specific to this podcast, it's like a gender flip twister. <laughs> <laughs> because you know how the whole thing centers on, does he, does he really want this boring, settled life, or does he really want to be Billy the Extreme? Right. This is like, does she really want this boring, settled life, or does she want to be this exciting reporter? Newspaper the Extreme. Yeah, and Cary Grant plays kind of a schmuck. He's a jerk. Yeah. But he's ultimately, like, he wins her back over. He's Spoilers. like manipulating her yeah, in so many different but ways. The, the thing that works is she knows he's trying to manipulate yeah. her. Yeah. And that is, there's a great bit. He's got this associate, Louis, who is like a pickpocket. And he basically gets her fiancé thrown in jail by giving him counterfeit money. Yep. <laughs> and there's this whole thing going on. And every time something happens, she's like, wait, what happened? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And she knows <laughs> that Cary Grant is trying to manipulate her. But essentially, she ultimately does get manipulated back I in. forgot that that's... Uh, I haven't seen this in, like, decades. Uh, so, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I remember it's, like, kind of known for its clever dialogue. Aren't they also, like, just drinking constantly? Yeah. Howard Hawks directs it. One martini after another. Howard Hawks is kind of known for his overlapping and, and kind of I, That's what I was going to say. When, when there's a point about three-quarters of the way through the movie where it's, like, it's escalating to its climax... And Cary Grant's talking a mile a minute. Rosalind Russell's talking a mile a minute. The other reporters in the room are talking a mile a minute. And they're all, there's all this cacophony. And it's almost like a musical sequence. Yeah. Like, it's really, really great. Randy, have you seen the original version of <laughs> The Thing that before John no, Carpenter remade it? Well, it's so Howard Hawks, Howard it? Hawks directed that yeah. or produced it or something like that. But I, I think he might have directed it. Um, and it it has that same vibe. Same, so the guys, the guys up uh, there okay. are... They're kind of like, you know, clean-cut military guys and si- a few clean-cut kind of scientists. Yeah. It's not the the bunch of roughnecks and weirdos of, like, John Carpenter's one. Yeah. So, um, so they're, they're like 50s kind of clean-cut dudes. But when they get to bantering and chatting, mm-hmm. it's that kind of dialogue. And it's interesting. You would, you know... You, you kind of forget that, that that's a, that's actually a staple of the original The Thing. Yeah, that is, is the dialogue, actually. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, if you catch it at some point, for sure, you'll notice it uh, just instantly. I really enjoyed this. Compared to some of the other comedies I watched, I think I didn't like it as much as Some Like It Hot, but I liked it a little bit better than uh, It Happened One Night, if I, was, yeah. if I had to place it. I mean, this is a classic for a reason. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, would you take it over Lost City? I would take it over Lost City. Okay. <laughs> I would take all three of those over Lost City. <laughs> Um, all right, I've got two two to knock out unless you have any nope, more to that's finish that's it for up. me. Okay, um, t- both, both of mine were on the comedy thing. Let me first say the one that I really enjoyed was the menu. Yeah. Have y'all seen this? I yeah. love the Love the menu. menu. I was yeah. arguing that it wasn't a comedy, but y'all over over. It's, a com- it's for right. sure a comedy. Yeah. It's, it's a, but it's, it's definitely a dark, a dark comedy. It's a dark comedy. And it also functions as like, like kind of a dark suspense movie yeah. that kind of edges up into horror territory at yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the basic premise, which you could kind of glean from the trailers for it, was that uh, like maybe a dozen ish, maybe ten, uh, but no, it's probably around a dozen. Sort of very, very wealthy people go to a an exclusive island dining experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a little small isolated island with a restaurant and a celebrity chef kind of guy who's yep. like known to be extremely demanding, and yep. he's kind of 
closest to what an Anthony Bourdain type? Uh, uh, no, no. Is there anything fine, it's that more fine dining? It's, yeah, yeah, it's more. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, he'd be like with John Elaine or whatever that guy's name is. Yeah, the guy in French Laundry. A famous, or, famous guy, French Laundry guy. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. It's is it Ray Fiennes who plays it is him? Ray Fiennes. Fiennes. Excellently played. Like, oh, what, what a great role. Yes, chef. And they're all sort of <laughs> hipsters or rich people of some kind of stripe. Right. Kind of people that you might feel deserve some vengeance. Yeah. Except and, for our lead. Ex- yeah, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, in general, as the cor- as, just as the structure of this, as the courses of the evening go on, yep. you start to realize there's some weird thing where it's like, oh, they, like, know about the guests. Yeah. Like when they have like they have like the these like their tortillas on their tacos the tech bros. have like yeah. laser printed some stuff on them for so that there's unique to each dining diner's experience yep. and it's like oh somebody notices like this is a picture imprinted on his taco of like the woman he's cheating on his wife yep. with his wife oh, yeah. who's sitting across the way yeah, from him yeah. uh, there's some really a hole tech bros. Uh, who are throwing their weight around, yep. and it's like, what is it, like the embezzlement sheets or yeah, something yeah, like that that, yeah. should, that that would prove it? Yeah. Um, but yes, there is one unusual person in this mixture. Oh, by the way, the cast is also includes like John Leguizamo was like a washed up kind of yeah. actor. He's great in this. He is great in it. I actually, I, you know what, I always like John Leguizamo. Yeah, he's, 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 he's a good. He had a good, a good year. Actor. This is the same year he did uh, Violent Night, which he was great in that too. Uh, yep. Is he the um, bad guy in that? He's the bad yes. guy. Yeah. Um, but. Um, uh, oh Nicholas my God. Holt is the lead. Nicholas, Nicholas Holt. Holt is the lead. He's the he's the kind of jerky boyfriend who idolizes this chef yep. and is kind of dragging his new girlfriend to see it. Yep. She's playing along early on, but it's kind of like there's some friction between them yep. early on that only gets worse as the evening goes along because she'll kind of get annoyed at some like yep. really high fine dining thing that she's expected to do or yep. like she's like this this doesn't taste good. This isn't a good experience. They're being kind of insulting, and he's like he's like. He's like, babe, he's like, the chef was talking, you know, you need to yeah. hush. Yeah. And, and she does not take it well, yeah. as she shouldn't. So, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Anya Taylor-Joy is the girlfriend, and the the thing that kind of comes out is that... You want to give up. You shouldn't give away. Well, no, I'm not quite giving away, but there is a reason... Well, okay, yeah, she, the, the, there's a reason why we might root for her a little bit more than some of the other characters. Yeah, yeah. That kind of comes out for it. So there is somebody to sort of rally around, but there is also a suspense of, like, just, like... All right. Well, maybe they're not the best people, but do they deserve this, what some of what yes, starts happening? Yeah. And you know, maybe they do. Uh, but, um, it is darkly hilarious throughout. Um, there's one of the standouts for me is Hong Chow, who plays his maitre d' or basically like yeah. the one who's <laughs> kind of in love with Ray Fiennes, but also yeah. Yeah, uh, she's like twisted, amazing. Twisted yeah. connection to him. Yeah. Uh, at some point, what is it? Somebody. It's just like maybe it's one of the tech bros or something. They just answer like some simple question, like "Could we? Could you show us where the bathroom is? Can you tell?" Or like, "We want to leave," and she's just like, "No, no." Yeah, <laughs> I, I forgot what it was. But um, uh, I had a very good time with this. I think it has a satisfying ending. Yeah, it's really um, fun. And and I I was like watching it just like. I don't know where this is quite going at, at yeah. any given well, moment. And yeah. also, and there's some shocking scenes. There's yeah. shocking scenes. It's Rafe finds just commands. He is yeah. so good. Yeah. And also, I like food, 
the food here looks good. It, well, it, some it, of it does. Some of it does. But I mean, it, there's an. Eye they're to drinking it. like the little sauce for, for just the just the little sauce things. Uh, the the bread course with no bread. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> you don't just, you oh, don't man. get bread. It pops up occasionally. <laughs> a what what the dishes are comprised of, like yes. a little yeah. a little oh, infographic. Like little inter- yeah. And there's some really there's some funny ones in there. Yeah. Uh, uh, the and they definitely are like spoofing like you know this this has you know the you know the whisper of an orchid's leaf in it yep, and yep, you know yep, like yep. it adds a a faint aftertaste that might remind one of regret and yep. like like yeah. it's just obnoxiously yep. uh, fine dining so that was a really good time I, I have somewhat more mixed feelings on my last movie, Burn After Reading, a yeah. 2006, I think, Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. Um, but I did enjoy it. Um, it's it's a dark comedy itself. Uh, I just didn't connect with it that much. Um, but it is a kind of a labyrinthine mystery where, not unlike a lot of their other, like Big Lebowski and stuff yeah. like that, but uh, I guess what I'd say is it starts when John Malkovich, a uh, CIA analyst... Uh, is um, ousted for his drinking problem. Right. And he decides to... He, he by the way, is a very funny character. He's just yeah. constantly dropping the F-bomb, constantly angry, <laughs> yep. but in a kind of a funny, scrappy way. Yeah. They attempt to blackmail him at some point in this. Some some dumb people try and blackmail him. And just his anger when he's talking with them yep. on the phone, he's like, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> um, anyway... Um, He's um, he he goes to write his memoir and uh, and and is not really into it. Doesn't seem like it's his thing. But uh, essentially, that accidentally ends up in the uh, the disc that has it in the hands of some kind of dumb uh, workers at like a like a franchise gym. Yep. Frances McDormand playing a woman desperate for companionship and sur- plastic surgery as she hits like middle age and is looking to just look better and yep. date better. There's yep. a lot of sort of Kind of vacuous and dumb people in this, and Brad Pitt is like the phys- the the trainer yep. uh, who's like uh, like a kind of a likable doofus, and he's the one who finds the disc and he's like, oh, this is secrets. This is some kind of secret spy shit, and he's like, we can maybe get this back to the person they know the guy who ha- came from. They don't realize it's like just a memoir and not that high level, mm-hmm. and so they want to like like kind of make him pay him like fifty thousand dollars or something like that and get it back to him. And uh, everything starts going wrong. There's cheating going on. George Clooney plays a uh, Secret Service guy in it who's carrying on multiple affairs in it and interconnects several of the His plot lines. arc is so weird in some ways, and I love yes. it. Yes, there, there is a machine he yep. is constructing. Machines! <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. Kinda, I might need to rewatch this. It's, I, I haven't seen it since theater. Saying, I, have only, I saw it once, and I believe I came down kind of where Dave did, where just like, it's okay. It's very much a lesser Coen Brothers. However, isolated scenes in it are great. I think it is one of those where, like, as a whole, it's maybe a three-star movie, maybe. Right. But some of the scenes are yep. delightful. I think probably what it lacks, um, and there's, by the way, Tilda Swinton is in this, yeah. too, as kind of this icy person that's one of the people that Clooney is cheating with, and yep. she is the wife. Wait, is she? Is she married? She may not be married. I can't remember. Um she um, she's not Malkovich's wife though. But anyway, 
Um, there's not quite a character to root for in the yeah, traditional way. Yeah. Everybody, like even Francis McDormand, who's kind of a likable doofus looking for love, yeah. is still kind of like, oh, like she kind of. It is actually pretty funny though when things don't go well with the plan yeah. to, to try and blackmail this guy into buying his own memoir back. Um, she just she gets pissed and like starts chasing his car, yeah. and then she like goes to like the Russian embassy because she's she I think she's just kind of stupid and she's like well Russians will want spy secrets, and she's like I'll, I'll sell it to them, and like she's not a great person no. either. Uh, so the movie somewhat lacks a person to rally around, but as a satire of you know like if you kind of broadly think of these people as like. You know, either a, a convoluted spoof of like the intelligence community, a, a, Americans of 2006. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it it works pretty well as a satire, but I'd say lesser for the Coens, but still still a good watch. Just um, I, I think you might be right, Nick. It may actually be better on revisit when you kind yeah. of know the at least the broad strokes. I, I think that's where I landed too. I kind of want to rewatch it now. Uh, I mean, all of the Coen Brothers movies, like. Tend to age well, so uh, I, I mean, mean, you, Dave, you loved New Country for Old Men, and it took me on a rewatch to love it yep. as much. So I, I, I agree. It does happen me. for me. I like, really I, like the Hudsucker Proxy. I um, love that from the start. That's <laughs> I, such a bizarre. I can't movie. think of a Coen Brothers movie I've gone back to and thought, "Oh, I like that less now." That's never happened to me. Nope. Yeah, that, that is is kind of what they do. Yeah. All right, uh, Nick, anything? you got more. I had two more that I was gonna that rounded out my comedies, which yep. was uh, I watched Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. That's uh, his newest, right? It's yeah. his newest one. It's fun. It's kind of a a take on a play about a alien yeah. visiting a small remote town and all the hijinks going on yep. as like a uh, military Did you say spa- a play? Yeah, it's like a it's staged like a, a play. stage like a stage. Okay. It is a play. I could tell that it was like. It looked sort of surreal in kind of the well, presentation. It's, it's weird. It's also it's almost like somebody made a movie of a play. Yeah, a movie it, of it, a play. Like they, like they have a they have a narrator from the outside talking about the play. Correct. But it's not one of these things. Like I, I kind of know sort of how Wes Anderson sort of stages stuff in somewhat play like ways in other movies. But it's not like it's all set on like a literal stage. Is this it? is literally a play. literally a play. Yes. Oh, weird. it's a little bit di- different. There's, there's, yeah, there's construction, yeah. Uh, but it is definitely a Wes Anderson film. Uh, I will say. Uh, Jason Schwartzman always surprises me. Uh, he's he such a good actor. You know who else? Scarlett Johansson, who I like, but who I've never thought of as like, like I can't name yeah, it. Like she's, a, she's fantastic in Wes Anderson movies. She is. She's really good. Uh, I liked but didn't love this movie. I think it was better than French Dispatch, which I know you will disagree with. Randy. I, I, yeah, I actually like French Dispatch better than this one, but I also I think I like this one better than you liked it. Yeah, I, Wes Anderson is one of those things of like I plug into his sensibilities. Everything he does now, everything he's done for the last like five movies, is basically you could. It, it could also be a Saturday Night Live sketch of a Wes Anderson movie. Like he has gone full into this is what I do, kind of parody of himself. But I like his style enough that I enjoy it, even though it is you could parody this and do just the same thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, like I said liked but didn't love. But there were there are elements that there's I thought a lot made, of great performances. There in is. It. I, I mean, the cast got, is insane. and it's got that look. It's got that that Wes Anderson look. Yes. Uh, and then the other one I saw is a Netflix film called Shortcomings, which is a new film by uh, comedian Randall Park. Hmm. Uh, it is a romance movie, but without being like your prototypical romance. Uh, but it's about a, uh, a couple who aren't really fit together. He is an asshole a little bit. And they take a break. And 
it's sort of about finding yourself because everybody is given kind of like an arc and they're not like terrible people but they don't really recognize what their their self-destructiveness a uh-huh. little bit and it's really just about finding the person within you and kind of being okay with that okay uh so there was it's just a really interesting journey that had you a lot of wait you said this was a com- it's a comedy, comedy it's a comedy drama but it's sort okay. of about a uh he's a kind of film snob he runs a uh, a movie theater uh you'll recognize a couple of like people who've been like the guy who plays uh uh in Spider-Man uh crap I can't think of his name Far from him, no, no. Yeah like it, Peter's best friend why well, uh, yeah um not Harry is it Harry No not Harry uh Ned Ned Ned, Ned. he's in there okay. as kind of like a a jokey, he even makes it uh, like an MCU. He only watches MCU films. Uh, so it's definitely Randall Park kind of being a little insider, because uh, he too is in yeah, <laughs> yeah. MCU you know, films. I don't recognize a lot of this cast. I uh, don't look down at Well, uh, one of the main person is from uh, Joyride, okay. uh, who All plays right. uh, the lead character's best friend. Uh, it's just kind of, I've really fallen into the this kind of rhythm of just liking character pieces. Yeah. And sometimes the movie as a whole is not great, but I really oh. enjoy seeing characters kind of like, I don't know, evolve yeah, and so kind of like become a little bit more. It's sure. a surprising comic book connection. Do you know who wrote this movie? No, I don't. Uh, it's based on the graphic novel by Adrian Tomine. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, it's kind of pretty fairly notable indie. Yeah. I don't know. I thought this was a really good, I don't know if this is Randall Park's first Directorial. I think it might be. Uh, I thought it was a great first uh, movie. Uh, the characters were very believable, and while not hilarious, mm-hmm. I think there was humor, and I laughed. Uh, it's just it was definitely more real than I was expecting, which makes sense that if it was based on a gun indie comic, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I really dug this. I think it's definitely worth people checking out, and you can just hit pr- play on Netflix. The current which is, modernish movie. Yes, it, it's well, last year, I believe. Yep. Uh, all right. Before we leave the movie challenge entirely, we've got one more week of it. Yeah. But also, uh, I have been following a podcast. I know we've all listened to episodes of called Unspooled. Yes. Which is good, good podcast. Uh, it has um, Paul Shear and and the uh, Amy Nicholson who writes Nicholson for writes New, York Times. New York Times. Yes. So she is basically a film critic. That's her. That's her livelihood. Yep. He is an actor, but also can speak pretty well on film. Yep. He's an actor, writer, director, I think. Yeah. He's done all this stuff. He's done uh, You've seen him in the league. You've seen him on a bunch of NBC shows. He tends to do comedies. Yep. He's, he's bald, and that's like the gap tooth. He's a very distinctive <laughs> look. You would recognize um, him. He's a nerdy dude. Uh, but they do a, they've been doing a podcast. They started doing this a while back, going down the uh, American Film Institute's top 100 films. Mm-hmm. And then when they reached the end of that, they started doing more like good movies. <laughs> and so they've been doing just lots of movies. Yeah, but um, basically they're, look, they're looking at the movies that people consider some of the best ever, yep. and, and then they'll just talk about them. They clearly do research they do on some research them. research on yeah. them. So that, and, and each kind of independently, so mm-hmm. sometimes they know some of the same stuff, yep. but sometimes they, they pre- nearly always know some different things, yep. some things that right. the other person didn't. And they have pretty productive discussions about them. And so I, I've been listening to this off and on, listening to random episodes, and so I started looking up all the older movies I was watching. Of course, they've done all those. And there's been some interesting stuff I find out about uh, the casting of Sunset Boulevard, or you know, the some of the behind the scenes of Singing in the Rain. Yep. Or there's a movie that like nobody wanted to do. I can't remember what it was. It was like um, they were they were talking about. Oh, they were talking about it happened. It happened one night. Uh-huh. And that like uh, who's the lead in that? It's not, it's not Clark Grant. Gable. Clark Gable. The Clark Gable didn't want to do it. 
that he was loaned out to that movie as revenge for was from his studio because it was in the studio area where they all they basically loaned he him out as part of his contract. Basically they did were, what you did. They were mad at him and they wanted huh. to do this movie he didn't want to do and, and to kind of like, punish him for something him or for something just else. Yeah, let him know who was was, was in yeah. charge or something. <laughs> there's, there's some all stuff like that that comes up. That they talk this about. movie that by the way kind of made him like an icon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That basically there's a lot of these movies that like they didn't want. To, oh, Marilyn the Marilyn Monroe. They talked about her on on some like it hot. Where basically she would show up two to three hours late. Yeah, and she also didn't want to do that movie. Uh, there's there's some really interesting stuff in there. Got a bunch of takes because she could bunch, never bunch of, she, couldn't she, learn she her lines. Like, one, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of really interesting uh, film stuff. It's very fun. It's fun to listen to them talk. Uh, so I've been I've been doing those whenever they they have yeah. a show. Uh, and they did they did an episode of Emperor's New Groove, which I listened to that too. Yeah, Randy, uh, and, and because you had suggested that I tried it out too. I think I've listened to two of the two Billy Wilder ones, yeah. Sun, Sunset Boulevard, and uh, well, you you watch three, but uh, the other Double Indemnity, yeah. and and yeah, they they the stuff that they covered on that was super interesting, like including like Double Indemnity, which was a you know really hard boiled sort of film noir. That there was also like a, a radio play version of mm-hmm. it that was like kind of pared it down to about an hour, yep. and they play some of it, and it had the original cast and stuff in it, and it's just it is. The, the, it's cool. It's cool to listen to. It's a great follow up. Yeah, like I, I think you could listen to one of these and then watch the movie. But I think I it's much more productive it. yeah. to watch the movie and then hear them discuss it. Yeah, and, and, and it's a lot of fun. Like yeah. it's it's. Uh, I, uh, I I really think they bring a lot to it, and they're they're very smart people. They they do some great film analysis, but they also haven't like goofing around and that kind right. of thing. They and they also do other podcasts. I've listened because of that podcast. I've listened to uh, Paul Shears' How Did This Get Made? Yeah, which he does with Jason Manzukis. Yeah, uh, he and Amy Nicholson has done a lot. I uh, liked her retrospective on uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. It was like a four part oh, series huh. about okay. sort of the making of and it was very interesting. Just that first Halloween? Yeah. She's a huge horror fan so yeah. she definitely has uh, delved into that. I like that sometimes they'll disagree on it sometimes. Yeah. 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 Or you know it's like oh yeah we, we generally like this movie but she's like I like this character and he didn't or yeah. Yeah. Or, or disagree on an interpretation of a scene and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know they don't like they don't fight fight but they you know they'll just politely and have some fun disagreeing. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, the thing that kept me from finishing out my movie challenge and made completely kill my movie challenge <laughs> is a little game called Helldivers 2. Yeah. Uh, a, uh, not, not a not a budget game, but a, sm- a smaller non-AAA the game. First, the first game, Helldivers, was a top-down, squad-based game where... Um, Starship Troopers, the game. It was very Starship Troopers, like yeah, and it is a parody of Star. In the same way, Starship Troopers is, is like you, you are the the Helldivers, the elite soldiers of, of Super Earth, which yeah. is a clearly fascistic uh, world, ultra capitalist that, that send them out in the name of uh, saving democracy. Right. It's kind of like oh, we Managed found that democracy. Right. We found that that there's some uh, good, really good resources on this alien planet. Time to bring them some democracy. Yeah. The the robots are notably they were they are a socialist. Where they're like, we're going oh. to kill these socialist robots. Uh, yeah, and uh, the the main foes, kind of at least at least the the ones that you fight initially are bugs, just like Starship yep. Troopers, big giant insects. The bugs have oil, and that makes them a very yep. valuable target. Uh, but there's also, uh, yeah, like you said, these Terminator esque robots, and then later some other weirder aliens. Yeah. So that was the first game, what five years ago or it's so, maybe like longer than that. But yeah. yeah, it's been a while. But it was a cool little budget game itself. So Helldivers two. 
I started seeing ads for it, and I was like, I was a little worried because I'm like, well, did somebody get a hold of this just because it's it's 3D instead of instead of top down, it's 3D perspective. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and it's like you know, kind of like Destiny or one of those. And I was like, is this is this one where they're going to lose the irony and it's just going to be like right wing propaganda? No, no, they went full on into the irony. <laughs> uh, it is it's very much still the same thing. And uh, my son loved playing this game with me, and he is now uh, 16, so he can enjoy the, the irony of it a little That's bit more. The satire element. Uh, the satire element a little bit more. And uh, so, so he got it on Steam, and it's cross-play, so I got it on the PS5, and so we've, we've been playing a little bit, I've been playing with some friends. And what's happened is, the servers have been so overwhelmed because this game got, like, huge. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a small, this is a company that was expecting this to be about as big as the first game. <laughs> yep. So, so and it does, by the way, fulfill the kind of the adrenaline-pumping parts of the movie Starship Troopers, yep. which is like, yes, it would be cool to run around and blast away a bunch of, uh, like, Bugs. dozens and del- dozens of xenomorphs. And But the cool thing is, so each of you has your own ship that, uh-huh. you, that you fly into the zone, and then you, you take these hell pods, which are basically pods they fire onto the planet, yep. and that's how they get you down to the surface. And uh, and you then have you have like a gun and a backup gun and you can call in some extra stuff. This is one of the coolest things. They go what they call stratagems, which you can keep leveling up. But you start out, you can call you you pull up a little menu mm-hmm. and you have to do a little left right left right on the D pad, uh, whatever yeah. the sequence is. And when you complete it, they fire down a hell pod containing a machine gun or a uh, rocket launcher, a rocket launcher, or, or, or a, turret. a, a tur- an automated turret that'll help defend <laughs> your position, or as you go on later, you can call in what they call eagles, which they're little fighter pilot fighter ships that fly down and drop bombs. Huh? So I've got a napalm strike. Nice. So I can just call a napalm strike, and a wall of fire will erupt in front of my... Uh, and if you're not careful, you will absolutely kill your teammates with this. Right. This kept to the kind of dark humor of Starship Troopers of, like, friendly fire accidents. Friendly fire is a thing. It's actually measured in the stats at the end of each mission. <laughs> it tells you how much friendly fire damage you did and how many people that, you killed. That feels very Starship Troopers. Yep. Uh, um, you can set up a... Tur- you know, like, the, the turrets will kill you, too. Yep, if, if you, you don't, don't crouch yep, down. Yeah. Yep. Um, you, you have to reload your guns. You have to find ammo and that kind of stuff. You also have grenades... Which uh, again, very easy to kill yourself or others with grenades. But you will f- you'll find like the bug the bug holes. Yeah, and you have to throw a grenade in to seal them up. Oh, that's cool. Uh, that's that's one of the missions you'll run into. I, I know that like the usually there's like a few, uh, like a, a couple of key missions on a on an area. Yep. And it, it might be like go uh, activate this uh, radar tower yep. or go uh, find at least in the original that I played. I haven't played this one yet. Yep. You would sometimes have to like find some mines or something like right. that and like clear an area. They of haven't mines. done the minesweeper stuff yet. It's good. That was hard. That was hard. <laughs> but they have like you have to go somewhere and start a pumping station that will start oil pumping, or go somewhere. <laughs> one of the fun things you've done in this mission, you go. They have spots that you find. You drop. You find a map. You have to fight your way through some enemies. You get to these spots. Once you get to the spots, the enemies hit you harder. Right. And they then you score. have to do the mission, like, like together. When he goes to the terminal and does the left-right, left-right thing, the other one has to unlock some latches, and right. then you launch an ICBM. That's one of the missions. And when you launch the ICBM, you can, lo- you can look on the distance, and you will see a mushroom cloud because oh, it launched yeah. a nuke. Uh, and it's, it's a blast. It's super fun. Um, so in my head, this was like a... I, I've never played this game yeah. in any iteration of it. It sounded like an XCOM game. No, no, this is but this is live, this, full live okay. action. Yeah, this is... Okay. I, I believe so it is... Um, 
if I'm not mistaken, it's 3D, but it's like over the shoulder, so you see your guy. You see your guy. But when you like zoom in to snipe or something like that, mm-hmm. then it becomes first person. You okay. can do first person. You don't have to. Okay. I thought you, I thought it at least did it when you like looked down a barrel of. No, a there's a possibility of doing it. You oh, can do okay. all fully three, three, three person. But this yeah. is like chaotic real time. Chaotic real yeah. time. Absolutely. Okay. If you get killed. You can use your Hellpod thing to call in a reinforce, call another another person down. Ah, uh, okay. So they call you, call you back down. You have to go pick up all your shit because you come with your basic weapons. But if you called your machine gun or your flamethrower, right, it's still down it's there. It's still down there. Okay. Randy, what um, you described when you were telling me about it earlier, uh, like when you had this, like you tried, you did the main missions and some side missions, and barely had time to like get back to a drop point to get out. So that's one of the other things they added in this. They they give you a timer, uh-huh. and it's usually like forty minutes. It's like a long time. Right. But at the end of that timer, if you have not extracted, your ship leaves orbit, which means you can't get any more of your stratagems. No more replacements. No more replacement guns. No more replacement guys. You're on your last chance. And you got to get off the planet before you all die. Before you get swarmed. Um, the other thing is, at the end of each mission, you go to the extraction point after you've done whatever the missions were yeah. important to. And you call down a ship. And then you've got about two minutes to wait while the extraction ship comes down and flies to get you. And that's when everything comes at you. Yeah. So you got to defend your position. Or left or dead. Left for dead, yeah. Yeah. But, man, it is so much fun. And playing you, with you friends... You were talking about when when it comes off. Like, when you survive that yeah. and you, everybody escapes in the dropship, it's very satisfying. Yep. It's, yep. um... And we know, and you know that, like as the game goes along, they're go- they are going to introduce vehicles and also like the power suits, like the Starship Troopers book, and the original Hell Divers had that, uh, which is pretty cool because you're like walking around in a mech with like you know like a uh, you know revolving cannon on its on its arm mm, that'll yep. just like sh- shred bugs and stuff like that. This sounds like a good time. This is a blast. And it introduces and, and... them to democracy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's also the 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 say hello to democracy. Like they have the, the, your guys just yell stuff constantly. Sure. So they're yelling things like "Have a nice cup of liberty." <laughs> and uh, if you get the flamethrower, this is one of my favorite things. There's lots of stuff like this. If you have the flamethrower, my son got it before I did, so he was using it on the bugs, which is very effective yeah. against. And if you hold the flamethrower down for a little while and you're just flame, you're flaming a bunch of guys, you start laughing maniacally. <laughs> <laughs> sure, it's delightful. It's a... um, there's some there's some great little touches that make this make this a fun game beyond just being a good game. Um, really fun drop in, drop in and drop out play. Uh, lots of sort of leveling up and getting gear and stuff like that. If you've ever wanted to be Johnny Rico. If you've ever wanted to be Johnny Rico. But you're saying right now, because of popularity, the servers are a little... It's sometimes you get, and there's like no getting in. you got to wait. You know, I, I um, get uh, ads for it on Facebook because I've watched some of their trailers and yeah. stuff like that. And uh, whenever I look at the comments, people are ecstatic. They're like, oh, I've been playing this game with my buddy for the last few weeks. We're having the best time. Mm. This is super good. I've even seen people who are like, hey, don't don't yell at them too hard about the servers. This is like an indie company. That they had a, no idea. They basically made a game so good they didn't know it was going to bring in so many people. <laughs> um, and so it's like they're only a victim a little bit of their own success right good now. Good for them. Yeah, but, that's yeah, it's awesome. pretty cool. The other thing I want to talk about is a board game mm-hmm. uh, called Daybreak, which I, I talked about. We got it a few weeks ago. I finally got a chance to play it. This is a uh, cooperative game by Matt Leacock, designer okay. of Pandemic, basically yep. the father of, yep. of co-op games. And it is about stopping climate change. Uh, you you play... Stopping... Climate change. Climate change. Okay, yes, yes. That makes sense. You are playing... You, you have four nations. There's uh, the United States, Europe, China, and everybody else. Okay. Uh-huh. Those are the four nations. And they each have a little board... 
that has you start off with a certain amount of pollutants that represent your like transportation, your industrial, your homes, little chits that represent these things, and then a certain amount of dirty energy and a certain amount of clean energy. Okay. And you have a requirement you need to hit. Your population goes up every turn. If your population exceeds your energy, uh, like or your ener- if you don't have enough energy to power your population, mm-hmm. you'll start getting unrest, which can cause problems, like okay. losing game problems. So sure. it, this is uh, mirroring in the real world. It's like, well, you can't just instantly go to all wind power right. or it's going to be a problem. And then you have a, a little temperature thing that starts at, at, at zero and it goes up by point ones. And when it goes up, you start rolling more dice that, like, on the board, there's little things like the acidification of the of the of the oceans, the uh, the, the rainforest status, the rainforest status of the ice caps, and as those things move forward, as you roll the dice, they will start hitting tipping points that will cause more problems for you. Oh, and as the temperature goes up, you roll more often and you draw less cards. And each turn, you also have crises cards, which crises could include a pandemic. Uh, a food shortage, sure. all kinds of stuff we've seen. Like, like it's all. Yeah. And then every turn you have a global project. You get to, you get to pick one of two. That's like <coughs> one of the ones we got. We played three times, by the way. Uh, one of the ones we got was clean energy. When one nation gets to fully clean energy, they can start giving clean energy to other people, <laughs> and that became very handy. Yeah. So there's like things that will help you out. Yeah. <coughs> so what you get each turn is you get these cards that represent uh, projects to try and change things like um, converting your dirty energy into clean energy or um, uh, atmosphere scrubbing or other various various other things. And the coolest thing about this, because it can be a very depressing and triggering game (laughs) because it is based on real stuff is that each card has a QR code so you can scan it and see what the technology actually is and where it is in our in our world. Oh, oh. So it's like it's go, it's showing you all these solutions we have on hand. Right now, the premise of this game is that all the all the knights of the world have come together and are working together to stop climate change. Yeah, that's and even with that as the premise, we lost two out of three times. Well, you know, we know that <laughs> the nature of these games are they're very suspenseful and, and, and meant yeah. to be somewhat difficult. But um, uh, that's pretty cool. You know, occasionally I hear, I was just listening to uh, uh, some old clips of uh, Dingbat Jordan Peterson the yep, other day. Yep. And his like thing is like, oh, uh, climates is so uh, complex that you couldn't even begin to model it. And they, and, and you know, like, what, when there's no, yeah. they don't know what to do about it. And I'm like, there are lots of plans in place. There's lots of incremental well, stuff and things. They that managed it in a board game, so I think he's wrong on this one. Yeah, like <laughs> not that Jordan Peterson could ever be wrong about anything. People have I mean, thought about this. Such a deep thinker, Jordan Peterson. Yeah, yeah, yeah Canada's best. <laughs> oh, God, is he Canadian? Um, they're not sending us their best, oh, Randy. No, they're they're not. sending us their Jordan Peterson. Uh, but so at the end of the turn, you know, how pandemic has the disease cubes. Yep. Yeah, this has carbon, and you put out the the amount of uh, tokens you have for like you know cars and all this kind of stuff. You compare that to how much um, you, you, you add each of that and all your dirty energy, and you add that number of carbon into the atmosphere, mm-hmm. and then you absorb it into whatever oceans and trees you have. Yep. And whatever's left raises the temperature. So if okay. you if you do enough forestation, if you keep the oceans clean, that absorbs all the carbon. If you can get to carbon neutral for one turn, and then survive one more crisis, you win the game. Nice. That happened to us once. <laughs> Otherwise, you can lose by having too many communities in crisis in one nation, which happened to us once, or by hitting the maximum temperature, which I don't think we ever quite I mean, got to. This roughly mirrors how pandemic has multiple ways to lose. Yeah, yeah. It, like 
I, I, I say that because I, I wouldn't want people to think that they, they, that sort of sounds morose. Yeah. Uh, that, but that is just kind of that's the staple of these co-op yeah. games yeah. is to have several ways to lose and only two or maybe one or two ways you that played, you win. But you also played three times, so it was a fun game. Oh yeah, no, it's a great game. It's it is definitely if you're having climate anxiety, yeah. maybe not the time to play this game. Right. But at the same time, people played Pandemic during the pandemic. Yeah, right. People, uh, uh, Americans in particular, I think, have a good dark sense of humor. Sure. And also finding be, having a realization of oh, there is a way to beat this. Right. Yeah. There is a certain hopefulness in that because then and then, and then maybe we can like uh, do a little pressure exertion. Yeah. Like. Uh, yeah, there, 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 there's ways to find clean energy. It is not just some mythic pie in the sky. There's also there's a huge stack of cards you get for projects, and it's kind of interesting because some of them work better for some nations, and there are mechanics that you to trade cards, but you don't always have them in play. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of flexibility. The game is very different every time you play it. Okay, oh, that's cool. But I discovered, I was playing America when I first played, and then the second two I just kind of watched and played like a global person. I was yeah. wandering, floating around. But America has five... Uh, vehicle, which is the highest of anybody else. Like, they have the most vehicle. And both times I got a thing that allowed me to remove a vehicle token every turn, which would help me a lot. But in order to get there, I had to have a certain social skill. So we had to have, society had to be okay with this idea. Hmm. And so that was like the, the balance of, there's a great balance of like, you have a social score, an ecological score, and a uh, infrastructure score, and that will change other things in the game, too. Seems pretty ingenious. It's really clever. It's It sounds complicated. It's definitely no more complicated than, say, Pandemic or one of those. Say the name of it again. Daybreak, Daybreak is what it's yeah. called. Cool. Uh, great game. Super fun. I'm super glad I played it. I'm definitely playing a lot more of it. Uh, I actually think it's better than Pandemic. Oh, wow. Okay. Shut your mouth. <laughs> All right. Uh, that will do it for us this week. We'll be back next week on The Bore. Until that time, yo, yo, yo Joe. Joe. Roadcast is a weekly podcast broadcast from Rogue's Gallery Comics and Games in Round Rock, Texas. You can find us online on Facebook and at www.roguesgallerytx.com and email us comments or questions at roguesgallerytx at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.